in Chicago, two comedian skeptics named Andy and Art were mysteriously abducted by the illusionary mastermind and conspiracy theorist known only as Mr. Mr. Bunker. Bunker. The following serves as a record of Bunker's attempt to convince non-believers of the truth about conspiracies and paranormal activity. Andy and Art give an uninterrupted presentation and verdict on the plausibility of these offbeat topics, delivering what they call the, the whole enchilada. Will Mr. Bunker convince these two skeptics any of this is real? Will it convince you? Welcome to Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. As always, I'm your co-host, Art Stone. And with me, as always, is your co-host, Andy Hart. Hey, Artie! Woo! <laughs> Ooh, Andy, you're you're revved up. Yeah, I guess you could say I've revved my engines. And I'm ready to, I don't know, I'm feeling wild. I'm ready to bust out of my skin and leave my flesh and bones behind. Jesus. Uh... Andy, it sounds like maybe you're describing an out-of-body experience. Would you yeah, say that's correct? It sure sounds that way, doesn't it? <laughs> but you wouldn't be describing that today, would you? No, no, no reason for me to talk about that. Wait a minute. <laughs> that's right. Today's topic, Andy, is out-of-body experiences. Yes, out-of-body experiences. The uh, the sensation. The, the sensation. The feeling. The sensation driving the nation. You've got to try it. Out-of-body experiences. Get it. At Walgreens <laughs> or anywhere fine chewables are sold. <laughs> it's bunk funkers. It's this idea that you come out of your body, that there's mm-hmm. a a more permanent piece of your being that exists outside the corporeal part of your body. And you can come outside of yourself and be almost a third person yeah, in your own yeah, life. Yeah. I mean, it's it's this is getting into some real brain busters. This is a brain buster topic for you brainiacs out you there. Brainiacs, you you brain freaks, you, you brain freaks, you eggheads you who egg can't heads. stop thinking about how the brain works. You're gonna I mean, love this. This is uh this is people a, who are spiritual. Spiritual people. Um, this is a good topic for anybody who has ever had something like this. I mean, yeah. if you if like you've sleep been paralysis. dead, if you are dead right now, um, this is the episode for you. And this comes to us from a bunk bunker. A bunk bunker. A beloved bunk bunker. A proud patron. This is a the king of the truck and fuck. The king of the truck and fuck. Mister truck and fuck. Mister truck and fuck himself. Tyler Balloon. Thank you, Tyler. Great episode suggestion. Great episode. Um, and we love that you bent us over the bed of the monster truck and suggested this directly into our bodies. <laughs> oh, good lord. Um, well, here's the thing, Bunkfunkers, if you can't wait to, uh, have an escape the body of this podcast, the beginning of this podcast and get right to, uh, the ethereal research portion, of course, as always, you can, um, check out the show notes. There will be a timestamp for when the research begins because first, Andy and I got to update you on our lives. That's right. On the bunker. Um, what we've been up to. Yeah. Bunkfunkers, of course, you know, at this point we are two daddies, two daddies. We are living the daddy's life. We are raising our adult undead Sasquatch son, Peon Musk. Mm-hmm. We are 
also raising our adult baby, David Crosby. That's who he is. Uh, we live in harmony in the bunker. We do family things. We are responsible family men now who go out every night to Applebee's uh, hunting for strange. That's right. And, you know, look, everybody needs a break sometimes. Everybody needs to take some time off. You know, you gotta... One thing that's really important, always, Bunk Bunkers, you always hear me say this constantly over and over again, is you have to always maintain relationships with the people you care about. And you should never, you know, have good friends that you go years without talking to. <laughs> um, and you should never live your life like a hermit and only focus on the people directly in front of you. You should we always don't just we don't just talk that talk. We walk that we walk, walk. The walk. We walk the walk. We talk the talk. We stalk the stalk. <laughs> and I mean, this is very uh, this is very apropos to today because an old old buddy dropped by the bunker. Yeah. Unannounced. Like you do. Oh, my gosh. And what a treat. Uh, our old friend just pops up at the bunker, knocking on the door. The faintest little knock you've ever heard. So faint. And we open the door and there's nobody there. And it's like, ooh, creepy. Yeah, is this a ghost? But then you hear, oh, hello. <laughs> and then you look down, and oh, there it is. It's just me. It's just me. There it is. Our old friend, the Geico Gecko. Oh, my <sighs> God. We go Fun way buggers. back. We go so back with the Geico Gecko. He, when I was a teenager. When you were a teen. Uh, the Geico Gecko was actually my English teacher in high school. <laughs> Well, that's why you have a thick Australian accent. And I was the one that got him into car insurance. And not a lot of people know that. <laughs> because my parents were getting a terrible rate through uh, their agent at Big Insurance Corp. And <laughs> I went to school one day and I said, you know, Mr. Gecko. Yeah. I'm having trouble concentrating in class because I haven't had breakfast today. And, you know, normally my breakfast is a bowl of oats, a whole apple, some hay, and a salt lick. I was on the horse diet in high school, but it did help my mane look very nice. Well, you were you were in the equestrian club, but you, I, you didn't want to join as a jockey. You wanted no, to join as a horse. Right. They never specified that, you know, I couldn't be the one running around jumping over poles and stuff. I mean, I it's a pretty bad fun. horse, honestly. <laughs> I hurt my hands and my knees a lot. The other horses did start to bully you. Some yeah. of the studs would walk around. Yeah. I got kicked mount. a lot. Yeah. But, you know, I had one thing that the horses didn't have, and that's thumbs. <laughs> and I'm not proud to say it, but I stabbed a horse. <laughs> but, you know, it was kick or be kicked, and <laughs> I used all my human ingenuity. So anyway. So anyway. I said I can't concentrate in English class because I can't have my horse breakfast. Right. And equestrian club is first thing in the morning. So I was coming into English class exhausted. Yeah. And, you know, Mr. Geico Gecko, my English teacher at the time, said, well, I believe I can help you with that. <laughs> and he started his own. He started Geico right then and there. Out of the classroom. He used school resources to do it. <laughs> little he known was, fact. Little known fact. Uh, the state of Ohio was originally... Funding Geico insurance. He got fired very big time. Had to repay a lot of money. But that's kind of how. Lost his pension. 
Well, it all worked out in the end. In and, the and, end. And, and that's kind of how the Geico Gecko does things in life. He just goes by the seat of his pants. He's, oh, my God, he, yeah. He has no impulse control. No, this, this, I mean, I know that geckos have a reputation as being fun-loving and right. ready for anything. The Geico Gecko is yeah. like that at 11. Right. If you make a suggestion, he will do it, even if it's actively harming himself. <laughs> you could say... You should jump in that acid as a joke, and he'll go, all right. And then he does it. <laughs> all right. Burns a bit, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, and he's, he's so calm under pressure. He really is. Never gets too high, never gets too low. The thing is, it does take him a really long time to do a lot of stuff. Yeah. But he will do it. Oh, he'll do it. I mean, I, I mean, it was interesting having him as a teacher. Right. Because he would say, I'm going to pass out these exams, and it would take a whole the, week. We, only two or three people could take the exam at a time because it took so long for him to, you know, the papers were much bigger than he was. I mean, and it took so long for him to walk between desks. You think that the school system would put some kind of assistance for him, like a cool little motorized gecko chair and like, no, sadly, all those funds got diverted to Geico insurance. <laughs> and that's why they get such great rates. That's I mean, it. That's it. You know, he dropped by the bunker and, you know, he, he was ready to kind of party and he, he was like, you know, he was all hyped up. He was talking about how he had just seen Space Jam 2. Um, you know, he, he wanted and he to- was. Oh, my God. He was so inspired by Porky Pig rapping that he was just he was rapping all night long. Yeah. Everything was a rap. He uh he said, you know, I want to go out. I want to have a good time with you guys. I want to go see some big old milkers. Yeah, that was one of the things. So we obviously went down to a local farm. Yeah. Um, I mean, little known fact about the Geico Gecko. Very. His passion in life yeah. is insurance. Right. But if he had two passions in life, the other one would be dairy farming. Yeah. <laughs> he loves dairy farming. That's right. Uh, the whole process. He loves raising dairy cattle. Sure. He loves harvesting milk. He loves making cheese. He loves pasteurization. Uh, he loves everything. Yeah. And um, so we had some fun doing that. And then, um, you know, it was just it was just kind of it was kind of downhill from there. I mean, that guy just really goes crazy. Yeah. He drank way too much raw milk. Yeah. He just um, he gets real crazy on that raw milk. Yeah. Um, he goes real hard on it. You say, hey, you know, why don't we take it slow? Like we've got the whole weekend to hang out. And it's just kind of like, no, no, no. We got to go hard. Yeah. We're like, no, no, no. It's fine. We have the whole weekend. Right. We left the boys at home by themselves, but we put Frozen on the TV. Uh, they'll be fine. We forgot to pick Peon up at school. It's fine. He can walk home. We, we have all weekend. There's no reason to rush. Yeah. So, um, you know, and it, he just doesn't want to slow down. No. He's go, go, go. He's the Geico, go, go, gecko. <laughs> um, so we had, I mean, we had quite a bender. We did. That's the only way to describe it is a bender. Um, I mean, we woke up the next morning in a haze, I would say. I don't remember what happened. Yeah, I don't know how we got into a barn. Yeah, I don't we know. We woke up in hay. Yeah, I don't know. In various haze, there was some fresh cut, some dried. Right, right. some, some various, different kinds of straw. Yeah, various haze. Uh, we woke up in the haze. Um, we were covered in milk. Um, yeah, from head to toe, sopping wet. I clearly had urinated my pants, right? Which I wasn't wearing, so I urinated out in the open. Um, yeah, public urination is kind of 
part of the game with him. Um, it's expected. It's because he, when he has to go, he cannot get to a bathroom right. in time. He doesn't wear pants. And, I mean, and honestly, I He's, mean, when he pees, it's like a little droplet. Like, it's barely any pee at all. He's quite small. And when he poops, it's just these little, yeah, itty bitty pellets. Like you can right. barely see them. Right. It's really not a big deal. I mean, it was. I, I mean, it brought me back though to my youth. Oh yeah, waking up in a barn, right, pantsless, mm-hmm. covered in milk and urine. It's true. An angry farmer standing over me. Right, asking why all his cows are all shriveled. They look like, um, you know, like uh, water bottles that have been yeah. squeezed and you put the cap back on. Yeah, we sucked them dry. We sucked all those cows dry. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and it was, uh, you know, and that's and that's the thing is, and the Geico Gecko was nowhere to be found. Yeah. He it was off. just just me and Art there in the barn. Right. But, I mean, that's the way of the Geico Gecko. When will we ever see him again? Could be next week. Could be 10,000 years. We don't know. And the thing is, you know, and this is the odd part is, you know, as we did, we woke up pantsless. Mm -hmm. Uh, We woke up, you know, covered in our own urine and and in hay in a barn. We looked on our butts and pinned to our butts with full on safety pins. And and for me, for you, it was a big, like a big, a big, like comical safety pin. And mine was a large thumbtack pinned literally punctured into my butt. Yeah, yeah. Mine was like one of those things that you might see like an adult baby costume. Yeah. You know, like like oh people Which are, are very to... offensive to David Crosby. It's, it's, it's really offensive. I mean I mean it's it's twenty twenty one. Like it's time to move past the stereotype of the adult baby wearing some huge ridiculous cloth diaper from the nineteen fifties. Like cloth diaper technology has come so far since yeah, then. Right. Nobody's doing it. Hardly anybody's doing it with safety pins anymore <laughs> and folding it. There's so many other systems that you can use right. that make it very easy. Sure. And um, pinned to our butts was a note. Yeah. From somebody called Mr. Bunker. Yeah. Mr. Bunker, which is a very silly name. It's a stupid name. And uh, honest, it makes no fucking sense. It's like, sense. oh, okay, I get it. You must be like Carol O'Connor superfan. <laughs> okay, Archie. Yeah. <laughs> big fan of big fan of Archie Bunker. And um and it said like, ha ha ha, I got you. You know, you guys are gonna have to podcast. Look around you. This isn't really a barn at all. Yeah. This is actually just the bunker recording studio filled with hay and various blends of manure and dirt uh old structures cobwebs a cat chasing a mouse things you would expect to find in a barn the farmer is me yeah look at me i am mr bunker i'm right here in front of you standing the geico right gecko was not actually here it was an animatronic gecko <laughs> it didn't even have an australian accent you can't tell the difference between <laughs> any accents you don't understand accents and you never have. And you guys aren't good at them. You aren't good at doing them. Please stop. This is offensive to every person on earth. <laughs> and I was like, Jesus Christ. We got to stop. I just woke up. Can you settle down, farmer? <laughs> like, what is this note? Uh, I I don't know. It's just, I mean, it was it was less of a note and more of like a full-on legal pad. Yeah. Um, like a couple pages of a legal pad, and it was yeah. like, Jesus Christ, you pinned all this to my ass. Yeah, boy, did I feel like a donkey <laughs> at a party. <laughs> um, I just think you know we got to stop inviting the the Geico Gecko over. 
because yeah. every this happens a lot. Well, I mean, we didn't invite him. That's true. He just just he show showed up, up unannounced. unannounced so. But we should make up excuses next time, Andy, where it's like, oh, you know, mm, Peon's yeah. got this soccer game on the weekend. David and- Crosby has terrible diarrhea. <laughs> David Crosby has a, diarrhea. adult baby diarrhea. And, um, you know, he's got... Uh, Sorry, I can't go. I'm I'm doing my type five at every open mic on earth <laughs> for the next six months. Yeah, but um, this is par for the course with the uh, Geico Gecko. This but, is classic, uh, classic Geico Gecko uh, outing. And you know what? We may not hang out with him much anymore, but I do wish him well. That's true. He's a big celebrity. That's right. He's very and famous. It's very nice that he remembers the little guys like us. Well, we're kind of the big guys to him. True. He's a little guy. And I'm glad I'm glad that they, you know, he got he's still going strong because it seemed like for a while that he was going to lose his job to those uh cavemen guys who yeah. are um notorious assholes. Mm-hmm. Um you know, they think everything is fire. So, right. I can't imagine what it was like when they got fired and the Geico Gecko got brought back on. They were probably Yeah. Are cavemen scared of fire? I guess they're more impressed by fire. Well, you know, I will say that I'm thinking um, of Frankenstein. You know, the Geico Gecko <laughs> is pretty calm, but, you know, it's ice water in his veins is what it is. And he sensed a threat from the cavemen. Yeah, they're extinct now. It's true. They he were s- killed. He sensed a threat from those bluegrass musicians <laughs> doing those puns. And yeah, they're dead now. Fun puns, yeah. They're also dead. Yep. Um, Dikimbe Mutombo murdered by the Geico Gecko. That's true. That's a little known fact. People don't know that. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Geico Gecko has murdered a lot of other people. Yeah. Anybody who does a spokes, anybody who even begins to threaten his position as Geico's spokesperson. I mean, you know, he is the founder and CEO of the company, so he could just, you know, tell the advertising department, but that's not his style. Right. That's not his fucking style. Little known fact that the Geico Gecko is the CEO of Geico Insurance. (laughs) Well, uh, I guess we're going to, you know, we're, we're here in the studio, so we're going to continue to podcast for you. But, yeah, uh, why not? But speaking of something else that's non-threatening, we have a bunker alarm to get to. Oh, we do. That's right. Oh, and we are so excited. That's weird. We're pumped about it. Oh, my God. We love doing bunker alarms, and we especially love doing bunker alarms to announce a new patron. A new patron. So we're saying thank you to our newest, freshest, freshest. brand spanking Newest, I said newest already. Fuck, fuck, fuck. They're going to be so fucking pissed. Let me take that again from the top. All our right, we're going to take it. We'll, we'll fix this in post. Our, our most recent, <laughs> our freshest, yeah, our brand spanking newest. There we go. Patron. Patron. Brad Reinhardt. Brad Reinhardt. Like a Reinhardt cowboy. I really don't know the rest of the words to the song. There's something about a rodeo. Well, anyway, treat the Discord like a rodeo, and you can make your own joke here. <laughs> Brad, thank you so much. Brad, we are so grateful for your support. We uh, truly appreciate your patronage, and uh, we welcome you to the elite Bunk Funker family. That's right, and we've got this bunker alarm just bunk for, you. for you. So, Brad, as is tradition... I'm going to fire up the old Bunk Tech Bunker Alarm 3000, and we're going to find an alarm that's just right for you. That's right. So let me just turn this thing on. All right, it's going. Wow. 
You got that engine running. I mean, this thing takes a lot of power. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, Bitcoin mining be damned. Yeah. The bunker alarm is really, yeah, really runs up the energy bill. Yeah. We have 50 window air conditioners just to keep the Bunk Tech Bunker Alarm 3000 from overheating and setting the whole bunker on fire. Uh, also, it it <laughs> consumes about 35% of the power grid for the eastern seaboard. That's true. That's true. Uh, anyway. And, and <laughs> oh, okay. it Here's used to be fact. 30%. We had to tick it up 5% to get the louder sounds on the <laughs> That's true. Mechanics. That's true. <laughs> it took a lot of extra power. 5%. Uh, well, what, that's technology, baby. That's technology. <laughs> Oh, it's really loud today. God. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. There goes the Gatling gun. <laughs> it's an important part of it. <laughs> There's the buzzsaw chainsaw. Oh, and the mechanical bird. Oh, okay. I think we got a good Carl Winslow in the house. What the fuck's going on? Yes, is Carl Winslow the character from Family Matters here? <laughs> oh, wait, <laughs> we don't want Michael Winslow. Michael Winslow, the the voice actor and master of sound effects. No, no, we want uh, Reginald Vell Johnson's character from <laughs> from Family Matters, Carl Winslow, uh, <laughs> because he's local. He's Chicago PD. <laughs> Yeah, anyway. Anyway. Let's find that bunker alarm. All right, here. Let's make this bunker alarm. All right. So, Brad? Brad? This bunker alarm's for you. In three. In two. In one. Wow. That's a new one. Incredible. Look at that one. That's a great one. Specifically chosen to fit your aura. That's right. Personality. That's right. And if that doesn't fit, you have to let us know. Yeah. But we think it fits perfectly. But it, it, I mean, it's the bunker alarm. I have a feeling you're not going to object. The bunker alarm, five out of five dentists agree. Five out of ten. The tech bunker alarm 3000 is a bit of a precog. That's true. It's got, um, you know, uh, several psychics brains uh implanted into it mm -hmm. and it picks up on these things it's uh it's better than ai it's yeah. uh it's bunk tech yeah because um, that movie was not that good yeah. i mean i don't know Chubaw, Haley joe's osmonds yeah Haley joe osmonds um brad thank you so much again for being a patron hope you enjoyed that bunker alarm thank you for your support and um hey bunk fuckers hey we hope that you're not jumping out of your bodies yeah to, to 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 get listen hey you don't hey, have to jump out of your not, bodies we hope you're not very excited for this topic is what art's trying to say <laughs> that's true we hope that you're you're settle down bunk we hope you're reasonably sub subdued so you settle down bunk so you'll listen to this no bunk bunkers you're gonna be jumping out of your bodies in just a minute here because we're about to give you the whole enchilada we're about to knock your fucking skin and bones off on the uh, out-of-body experience here on Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast. Listen into the light.
touch my body Put me on the floor Wrestle me around Play with me some more Touch my body Throw me on the bed I just wanna make you feel like you never did Your body is a wonderland Your body is a wonder I'll use my hands Your body is a wonderland let the bodies hit the flow. Let the bodies hit the flow. Let the bodies hit the flow. Mariah Carey. John Mayer. Drowning Pool. Three musical artists, three equally influential musical acts who have all achieved the same level of fame and greatness and influence. Yes. But what? But, 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 what did their lyrics mean? What were they talking about in those three songs? The human body and the human experience of self? Maybe. I think so. I mean, these podcast co-hosts believe so, and we've written countless letters to each and every one of these artists demanding answers. But none have returned a comment. Interesting. We walk around every single day, each and every single day, as ourselves, a consciousness mind, a conscious mind inside a living, breathing organism, a body. Unless you're a zombie. Yeah. Which case, what's up, zombies? Hello to all our zombie listeners. But what if your consciousness, Bunk Funkers, yourself, your spirit, your soul, what if you could leave your physical body and continue to experience reality around you? Even look down from the ceiling floating above your lifeless body and watch itself sitting there or laying there. Is that even possible? And if so, what causes it truly? Well, call us Drowning Pool, because it's time to let the bodies hit the floor. <laughs> wow, we both really understand Melody. Oh, yeah. That's why they used to call me Mr. Melody. <laughs> <laughs> Out-of-body experiences, or OBEs, like art pontificated, are an experience of leaving your own physical body floating up and observing your body from outside of it. And if you've ever had one, that's definitely an eerie feeling. I mean, we spend our entire lives inside our own bods, unfortunately for some of us. Yeah, you're telling me. So being outside of it has got to feel a little uncomfortable. OBEs can occur from a plethora of situations. They are common in dreams, for one, especially lucid dreams, which we'll expand upon in a bit. But they have been brought about from anesthetics or while semi-conscious due to a trauma event or near-death experience sleep disorders, and electrical stimulation. Sensory deprivation can cause OBEs as well as drugs, man, psychedelic, dude, <laughs> far out. Whoa. Wow. Well, let's dive deeper on the OBE phenomenon and the various causes for them. Let's start with our old pal, sleep paralysis. Now, we covered sleep paralysis in depth with our good friend, Justin Link, justinlink.com, or just Google him. I don't know if he changed his URL. Check it out. Just Google Justin it. Link Photography. So be sure to check that out if you love these kinds of bizarre brainy topics. If you yeah. like OBEs, you're going to love sleep paralysis. Oh, yeah. Those who experience sleep paralysis are more likely to have out-of-body experiences. And likewise, cases of OBEs tend to be preceded by a lucid sleep-like state common in sleep paralysis. A large percentage of OBEs actually happen when sleep isn't very deep. Deep sleep. Another major factor in the OBE phenomenon is the near-death experience. 
at times of severe physical trauma or near drownings, um, you know, experiences that some might describe as akin to hanging out with Andy and I. Yeah, it's that point where you you can feel your life slipping away. <laughs> That's what it's like to hang where, out with us. Where you realize that you've made a lot of horrible mistakes right. or that things have gone terribly wrong right. and things are you're in a very bad spot. Now, near-death experiences have been accompanied by feelings of being outside one's body, visions of deceased relatives, a sense of being uh, dead, uh, a feeling of peace and painlessness, hearing... Uh, various non-physical sounds, encountering beings of light and godlike figures or similar entities, um, being given a life review. Oh boy, Oof. I did not get good marks on my last life review. Yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty much. I'm gonna get up to heaven, and God's gonna be like, "What the fuck? You wasted this." Yeah, I'm. You only got one of these, pal. If I if my grade's not incomplete, it's definitely an F. <laughs> Uh, and a reluctance to return to life and the classic light at the end of the tunnel effect. And the out-of-body experience is a big part of all of this. They're all kind of twindled together. Yeah, it's all a big bundle. Bundle. I don't know what twindled means. You know, they're together with twine. Sure, twindled. they're twindled. It's a, it's a thing. OBEs have been experienced from extreme physical effort, such as mountain climbing and marathon running. And in my case running up to active crime scenes and randomly pointing at people screaming, it's them! They did it! That's the guy who did it! That's your form of exercise. Yeah, I feel like such a hero. That's why I have that out-of-body experience, because it's like, <laughs> what a rush of adrenaline. You're doing something good for the community. Yeah, just running up and pointing at random people. Yeah, I mean, if they're there near the scene, they probably did it. <laughs> Thank God for you, Andy. Thank God for me, indeed. And we can't forget astral projection. How can we forget that? I couldn't forget it, if, even if I tried. Astral projection is a form of OBE in which you separate yourself from your physical body and travel through the astral plane. Astral projection is likely a topic all by itself, uh, maybe fodder for an entire episode, but it gets into more of the paranormal side of the out-of-body experience in which travelers are said to float to non-physical planes of existence. Along with astral projection is the feeling of the lucid cream. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Oh. Lucid dream. Ooh, Freudian slip. <laughs> I've got some lucid cream right now. Oh, boy. Um, so along with astral projection is the feeling of the lucid dream or an in-between state of perception where your mind is awake, but your body is asleep and you are aware you are dreaming. Lucid dreams are kind of like the gateway into the world of astral projection and OBEs. And finally, OBEs can be self-induced through drugs. Excuse me, bunk funkers, while I take the world's biggest bong rip. Um, all right. Well, anyway. <laughs> oh, God. Your mouth is supposed to go on the other end. <laughs> Okay, all right. Oh, Jesus. All right, Andy. All right. That's enough drugs for you. <laughs> Anywho, OBEs can be induced by hallucinogens such as uh, psilocybin, ketamine, DMT, MDA, and LSD. Uh, street names psilocybin, keto, the Joe Rogan meme drug, Molly, and Lakeshore Drive. Wink. 
Wink. I know him. I know all the names of <laughs> all the drugs. Art used to be a drug dealer. That's true. Literally every drug. Yeah. What's up? You want some silly psilocybin, bro? Wait, you want I some, got some silly psilocybin? psilocybin? You want some aspirin, dude? <laughs> I mean, he sold every drug. <laughs> it's true. I did. Um, they uh, they also could be induced by entering into a sleep trances or meditations. Now, these sleep trances can be used to great effect for creative purposes, as you literally force your body and mind to exist in a state between awake and asleep. Famous idea thief Thomas Edison even utilized these bizarre uh, in-between states to help steal more of Nikolai Tesla's inventions. Yeah. He was an idea thief. <laughs> I can't dispute that. Similarly, so did wacky painter Salvador Dali. Was everybody stealing Tesla's inventions? Maybe. Well, I mean, <laughs> Salvador Dali, to our knowledge, has never stolen one of Nikola Tesla's oh, no. inventions. All of Dali's paintings were uh, Nikola Tesla's ideas. <laughs> he stole his blueprints and then painted them. <laughs> and finally, mechanical inductions of OBEs. Uh, uh, by, mm, I should know this. Binaural. One. Binaural beats, which are like various tones and hertz levels specifically tailored to activate the brain in different ways, such as alertness or sleepiness, and and can be used to create an out-of-body experience. You can directly shock the brain with electric current, uh, specifically the temporal, temporoparietal, temporoparietal junction. Jeez, wait, we'll, we'll cover that. Uh, we'll cover some experiences involving that in a little bit. Oh, yeah. Experiments. Sensory deprivation can create a disassociation of space and time and help induce an OBE. And if none of these work, uh, how about sensory overload? Oh, baby, now we're talking. <laughs> you can be rocked for a long time in a specially designed cradle. Oh, baby. Or submitted to light forms of torture. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> to cause the brain to shut itself off from all sensory input. Oh, and, man, sign me up for both. Yeah, and this will cause confusion, and this disorientation often creates vivid, ethereal, out-of-body experiences. Hey, you know, Art, that uh, last one was very similar to my Andy trials. Oh, God. This is the basis by which I judge who can hang out with me. I make all the participants watch me dress up like an adult baby and talk like a widow baby while I play with my raw-wars and eat my lunch. Good God. Oh, I'm a widow baby. It's considered a light form of torture, and if they can stomach it, they deserve to be my friend. Oh, my God. You know what, Andy, now that you mention it, I do remember when I went through the the Andy trials floating above my body and trying to uh, knock something that was up above me uh, down to um, hit me on the head and put me out of my misery. <laughs> oh, Art, a deep self-loathing for oneself is an Andy trial. Guarantee. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of your friends. have. That's me smiling and my teeth glistening. They're so sparkly white. It goes ding. Self deep self-loathing is a common trait among people who are your friends. Yeah. You know, some come with it and that's a plus and some develop it. <laughs> Don't know why. A lot of regret about life choices. Yeah. But anyway, let's hear some OB stories. Don't everybody like a good story? <laughs> Here's one from famous skeptic and magician, James Randi. I'm not often involved in that serious a situation. Usually my situation is somewhat different. I'm looking into an astrologer's claims, or I'm looking into some sort of a, of a pseudoscientific thing, pretty well, obviously, pseudoscientific thing. But I always have to remember an experience that occurred to me. We all have the easy 
answer of, well, I guess that's a ghost, or it must be paranormal. It could be poltergeist, and we walk away from it, because we can't or won't look a little further into it. Some years ago, when I lived in New Jersey, uh, well, my house, I must tell you, first of all, is a strange sort of a place. It's sort of a wayside stop for itinerant magicians, conjurers, mountebanks, various characters of ill repute who will come by, identify themselves to me, and there's always a spare bedroom or a sleeping bag available to someone or other. And uh, I often walk in, I feed people there I've never seen before in my life, and pretty soon I get to think that I don't want to see them again, either because they drink up all my beer and never contribute. <laughs> I, uh, I came home after a couple of days away by car, I was very, very tired, and um, I came in on a weekend, it's a Saturday night, and my foster son Alexis was in the kitchen, and he was helping a couple of magicians drink up the beer, and uh, I walked in and I said, Guys, I'm very, very tired. I'm going to bed. I'll see you in the morning. And they said, fine. And I guess they carried on until late at night. I went in, fell asleep, woke up the next morning, came staggering into the kitchen in time to see them eating up more of my groceries in the form of breakfast at this time, sat down, got a half a cup of coffee under me and straightened up at the table. And Alexis looked at me, my foster son. He said, what's with you? And I said, wow, I think last night I might have actually had a classic example of the OOBE. That's the out-of-body experience. You see, when scientists or parapsychologists even uh, are, able to, are able to express something in two or three words or a word with three or four uh, syllables in it, it immediately becomes scientific. So they call this out-of-body experience. It's hyphenated, and it sounds pretty good. O-O-B-E. It means that you somehow find yourself out of your body and looking down on it or from a distance or whatever. And Alexis looked at me and said, sure. You? I said, hey, got to be honest, it appears to me as if I did undergo such an experience. Okay, give us a description. And the two magicians at the table leaned closer over their bacon and eggs and wanted to hear what I had to say. I said, well, I remember waking up in the middle of the night. I remember last night I, I couldn't get to sleep. I was super tired, but then, of course, as soon as you hit the mattress, you're staring at the ceiling, and that happened to me. So I turned on the television receiver and uh, it had some program or other on it, and um, it went on and on and on, and I guess I fell asleep. And I remember waking up in the middle of the night, and I felt that I was in a position like this spread eagled against the ceiling of my bedroom. And I'm looking down at this bed, rather large bed, I trash around a lot at night, and um, Alice, who was my black cat at that time, of course was curled up in the middle of the bed, so that I had to be way over at one side, and I was, way over at one side trying not to disturb the cat. Of course, you wouldn't dare do that. She's taken the exact center of the bed, curled up in a big black ball, and as I'm up against the ceiling, I notice that the room is lit in sort of a grayish light. Look down at the television set, it's psh, and there's static all over the screen, you know, the white noise sort of thing, and confetti on the screen, and that's illuminating the room, and I'm seeing myself in bed, scrunched over at one side, and this big chartreuse sort of a green bedspread on it with Alice, the black cat, in the middle of it. And I noted that as she opened up her eyes, she had green eyes the same color as the bedspread. It almost looked like two holes punched right through her head. It was, and she looked at me, and as cats do, she went, hmm, and went right back to sleep. <laughs> now, that was a very strong experience for me, folks. And I could tell you right now at this moment, yes, I really believe 
believe, I'm not convinced of it, but I believe from the evidence that's presented to me, I had an out-of-body experience that matches the description that we've all heard about so many times. But fortunately for me, in a way, I'm not uh, really dead set against having my belief structure disturbed or having new facts come in that will disturb my previous convictions in matters. It doesn't really disturb me that much. But fortunately for you, so that I can give you this anecdotal experience, which I think is very powerful, and fortunately for me, I am able to tell you what actually had happened. Alexis looked at me and he said, I got two things to show you. He went to the foot of the stairs and came up with a big transparent laundry bag. He had taken it halfway down. He never took it all the way down to the laundry room. He took it halfway down. That's the way kids do. And uh, he brought it all the way upstairs, and inside I noted a bunch of sheets, pillowcases, and the Chartres bedspread. He said, that's been here, there since yesterday. Then I don't have the Chartres bedspread on my bed. I dashed to the door, looked in, and it was this, oh God, I lost it someplace, thank goodness. Um, it is a terrible hunting scene. I don't know where I got it. Somebody left it. I don't know. But it was the only one that I used when the other one was in the laundry. He had taken that one off, put it in the laundry, and the other one was on there. So I couldn't have seen Alice in the middle of the hunting scene. I would have noticed that. And he said, look out in the patio. I looked outside. He said, Harry here, one of the magicians, is highly allergic to cats. I put her out yesterday around 4 in the afternoon. She hasn't been in the house since, and she's not very happy about it all. And I looked out, and there she was on the patio and had been out all night. She could not have been in the bedroom, curled up in the middle. It was a dream, an hallucination, if you will. It could not have happened physically. I had two very good pieces of evidence that it could not have happened. Now, that's important, folks, in that if I did not have either one or both of those pieces of evidence, I would now have to say to you, to the best of my knowledge, I had an out-of-body experience. But all the other out-of-body experiences we hear of, we have to wonder now. Those folks are not quite as skeptical about the subject as I am in most cases. If they don't have some convincing evidence to the contrary, what's to stop them from saying, I'm absolutely certain I've had an out-of-body experience because there is no other explanation for it except the possible and rather parsimonious conclusion that they were either dreaming or had some sort of a hallucination, whatever. It might have been a bad pork chop for all we know. <laughs> Now I ask you to consider that carefully and please don't forget it because it is a good example of how even the arch skeptic haha, could possibly have been taken in. That was fun. That was fun. Thanks, amazing Randy. Rest Thank in you. peace. R.I.P. And here's one from famous Ozzy Osbourne interpreter Sharon Osbourne. <laughs> Ozzy. Sharon. Sharon. I sound more like Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, Sharon! Sharon, you gotta, you gotta fight Apollo Creed's son or whatever the <laughs> plot of that movie was. Yo, Adrian, I'm rehashing all my roles from 40 years ago. <laughs> anyway, on the Jenny McCarthy show, Sharon Osbourne revealed she's had a few OBEs. Sharon described how both experiences were her floating outside her body, looking down on herself, to which Ozzy chimes in, quote, Say it to Bong first, end quote. <laughs> uh, she says they were induced through, quote unquote, illness. Uh, the second one being when her blood pressure dropped immensely and she was in the hospital and needed a blood transfusion. 
Sharon recalls feeling herself float up to the ceiling and listen as the doctor pleaded with her body to stay with them. Now, Sharon Osborne's experience is not unique. I mean, there's 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 pretty wild OBE and near-death experiences uh, aplenty. And, and here's one from English author Andrew Clover that was posted in The, uh, the Guardian. This one is titled My Out-of-Body Experiences. My, my Out-of-Body Experience. It was 7.42 p.m. on a wet Tuesday. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, my God. On a wet Tuesday evening. Oh, wet Tuesday. My wife was about to return after two days away. (laughs) Okay. Now we know. Wait, what am I reading? We know why it was wet. Uh, I was uncomfortably aware, however, that the kitchen was strewn with breakfast things and the wall was decorated with soup. I was desperately cleaning. (laughs) My wife called. She wasn't going to be home for half an hour. <laughs> oh. On the upside, the delay... Plenty of time to clean the soup, you know what I mean? On the upside, the delay gave me more time to pick the pebble dash of Rice Krispies off the bowls. You can tell this guy's an English writer. Yeah, yeah. But in five minutes' time, my eldest daughter would be getting off a bus a mile away. And while she's a very competent girl, she's only 12. I wanted to go and meet Grace. Uh, equally, I didn't want to leave the youngest one home alone. Six-year-old Iris is the one we worry about. I called my wife to ask, what should I do? She was driving. She couldn't speak. I felt a stab of rage. Did I need my wife to tell me what to do? Sounds like it. Come on. I was cursing at myself. You're such an idiot. Just make a damn decision. Andy, did you write this? No, I don't need to remind myself to make a decision. I just do. I get things done. (laughs) I made a plan and told it to the relevant person. My middle daughter, 10-year-old Cassidy. Jesus Christ, there's a... Children coming out every other I know. every other paragraph. Cass, I whispered, Mum won't be home for half an hour. I'll run and get Grace. She smiled. She knew what I was asking. I wanted her to look after the youngest, Iris. We were both calculating that um, Iris was watching Barbie Princess Charm School. Great fucking show. Great show. Oh, you have to check it out. Okay. So good. Okay, I will. Barbie, all her friends. At Charm School. At Charm School, Andy. Princess Charm School. Princess Charm School. Get with it. She wouldn't be moving. I ran off. I ran down the drive, and then I decided to take a shortcut through the orchard. I quickly realized it was full of muddy puddles, and I was incorrectly shod. <laughs> I don't know what that word means. He had the wrong shoes on. Okay. Well, again, this next sentence. I wonder if he was jumping up and down in muddy puddles. <laughs> Everyone likes jumping up and down in muddy puddles. I was wearing slip-on blue suede shoes. Oh, my God. Carl Perkins, welcome to the story. Should I go back and change? I accelerated angrily. The path went through a little copse. A branch had fallen across it. Beyond was a puddle. I tried to leap both branch and puddle and snagged my trousers on the branch. I fell hard. I tried to stop myself falling. My hand skidded in the mud and turning. I smacked the side of my head on a big stone. Bang. I was out. Out of my body. Oh, I could see myself lying down in the puddle. I was filled with terror. Oh, God, I was thinking. The girls! Then somehow, although my body was lying in the copse, I was in the village. I could see Grace. She had just gotten off the bus. She was fine. Then I found myself in the house. My middle daughter had left the living room. She was coming through the hallway, picking up a hairbrush. She was preparing for bed. She was fine. Then I went into the living room and I saw Iris. She had fallen asleep on the sofa. Her nose was running and she looked unwell. 
She wasn't fine, I thought. I've done something truly awful. Will she be all right? Some people say when you die, you see your life in reverse. But what I saw next, as my body lay unconscious in the copse, was a series of incidents in my life with Iris. Recently, I'd taken her to Disneyland Paris. Now I saw us checking into the hotel. Our tickets were for the next day, I explained. So we won't actually be in Disneyland till the morning. She was bewildered. But Daddy, she said, we're already at Disneyland. During the day, there was only one thing on my mind, on her mind. My mom had given her five pounds and she wanted to know how she was going to spend it. At the end of the day, she walked into Disneyland shop and went straight up to the aerial dress and bought it. She was heartbreakingly delighted. Then, getting on the train, she pulled the top off the pen. And a bunch of other stuff happens. I'm going to skip past that. I was seeing the scene again and feeling desperate. It seemed to sum up all my failings as a father. What have you done? I thought. What have you ever done for this girl? What had I done? Then I was seeing the games we played together. He saw her as a toddler. And, and, and Clover starts to go through this whole life. Uh, all these different scenes. Um, the author then starts to, to relay all the silly games he used to play with his daughter. Thinking about all the fun times they had. And, and he, was, he felt grateful. He felt somewhat at peace about uh, all the different things he had taught her. But... As he had that thought, he started to feel terribly sad. God, I was thinking, just how much will I miss Iris? But at the same time, he felt light, as if he were floating away backwards and upwards. He opened his eyes, and then he was swimming up through warm water. I saw a sparkling light. I felt a wonderful peace. Then I heard a voice. You can't be here now, it said. Suddenly, I felt very, very sick. I felt I was being dragged down, down, and then bang, I was back. I could feel my body hanging heavily around me, all mud and aging flesh. Be here, said the voice, and I felt a prod in my back. The next thing I knew, I was crawling out of the muddy field. I was choking and coughing and doing awful things, but strangely, I felt calm. I was still on my hands and knees, feeling very shaky, but I was looking at an ant which was crawling up a sheath of grass on which was a perfect drop of water. Everything seemed beautiful and very alive. And the next moment, his daughter Grace comes across him. And, um, you know, she asks, "What you know, are you okay? He says, I Daddy. slipped. Daddy, Daddy, what are you doing in the mud? No, he just, you know, he just uh, says, I bumped my head. And then got up. But for a moment, I did think if I didn't get up, of all the things I've missed. And then she asked, what were they? He says, I looked at her. I didn't know what to say. I realized one of the things I'd missed from my life was this. Being one-to-one with my daughters. Oh, oh, so sweet. Um, you know, he, he then starts to go on. I still don't know what happened. And on any level, spiritual or psychological, did I, as I believe, briefly start to asphyxiate in that puddle so that for perhaps seconds, I was technically dead, during which time I was helped back by an angelic being? Or did I just give myself a big bang on the head during which a few thoughts flashed through my head? It didn't, it didn't matter. Either way, I liked that angel's tone. 
and the advice, be here. That was a lovely tale from a dad wow. and his love for his daughters. Wow. And an out-of-body experience, very strange, but something that a lot of people who have these experiences feel. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's not just it's not just English people that experience these either. So sometimes American people. If do any too. of you were thinking that, yeah, if that was the conception, you know, bunk funkers, I mean, reset your expectations here because people all over the world have these experiences. Now, here's one from our neck of the woods, the good old U.S. of A. Here's the story of a woman from Tucson in the uh, state of Arizona mm -hmm. uh, who was a staunch atheist, aggressive atheist until after she had a near death experience. Have you ever had a near death experience? Have you seen your life flash before your eyes or maybe an out-of-body experience? 31 years ago, Leslie Lupo died for 14 minutes after being trampled by horses. But it's what happened in those 14 minutes that many people have a hard time believing because not everyone has had a near-death experience. I mean, as somebody who's been trampled by horses, I could give Leslie a few pointers. I Here's a quote. I popped out of my body and I stood about 15 feet away. And this was mind blowing for me because I didn't have any spiritual inclinations, said Lupo, who wrote the book. Every breath is precious. It was an out of body experience for the then 36 year old Lupo as she was trampled by more than eight horses at a ranch in Tucson. Quote, I didn't understand what was going on. I was just shocked. And then about 10 more seconds, I saw one of the horses screamed and they all bolted. And I watched myself get caught in this, and I was almost like very slow motion, you know? I spun my arm, went through the stirrup. The horses were running, but I'm dragging now, struggling to get up from my feet, screaming, end quote. Lupa wasn't feeling pain. She describes feeling serenity, despite the physical pain her body was feeling. Quote, if someone was watching me at that moment, they would have said, oh my God, she suffered so much, and I didn't suffer at all because I didn't feel it. The horses were kicking at me, and finally my body flipped away from the hay barn and crumpled, and I knew I was dead. It was over. I started giggling. I looked around the corral as the dust was settling, end quote. As people rushed to Lupo's side to help her, she was experiencing a different realm. She calls it, quote-unquote, upstairs, and for many people, it can be heaven. For Lupo, who was an atheist, it was confusion. Quote, Tucson just started fading away. It started movement around me, and suddenly I'm in a forest. It was like an oak forest with a river behind me, and there were ferns and moss, and it was very, very lush, and the serenity I felt on earth when I was watching myself let go of my body. It was like taking off a body girdle that was four sizes too small and throwing it on the bed. I was like, woo! <laughs> That inflection is mine. Yeah, that's true. I don't know that Leslie Lupo actually said, woo, <laughs> but I would if I took off a body girdle. Woo. Lupo recalled meeting people she'd never met, but some people report uh, they, the, of seeing deceased relatives they had never met, even hearing of events. Quote, that can be validated by going and finding out the information and say, indeed, that person had passed before this person had this experience and felt they met them in their experiences. That's a veridical uh, uh, perception, said Chuck Swedrock with the International Association for Near-Death Studies. The experience was not easy coming back from. Lupo said she felt isolated. For one, it was difficult physically and traumatizing. 
because no one believed her. Quote, it was my trip upstairs and I wanted to talk to everybody about it. Well, my doctor thought I was hallucinating. I didn't have any drug reaction and I wasn't on drugs. Even in some of the organized religions, no one wants to hear about that, even though you can say to them, yes, I know about heaven. I've been there because everyone treats you like you're a madman, end quote. For many years, people thought it was either mental illness or hallucination. But when people look at the characteristics of the two, there are some commonalities. However, when you look at the characteristics of mental illness and a near-death experience, there is no common ground. Quote, for example, the memory of the experience is lucid and does not change over time. As a matter of fact, at times, it can be kind of trying to hear an experiencer tell all those specific details because as they begin to be able to share it for the first time to get validation of it, the details for them are the validation of the experience. And the more they remember those details, then they stay with them constantly. Whereas if you have hallucination or delusion, those things fade in days and hours and they can't recall the same story twice, said Swedrock. Lupo isn't the only person who has experienced this. In fact, millions of people around the world have shared their stories, whether they had an out-of-body experience, saw their life flash in front of their eyes, or made it to a different realm after death, there's a possibility that there is something more. Quote, If someone wants to think there is nothing, then think that. That's their choice, said Lupo. I just couldn't ever go back there again. Wow. So, I mean, without a doubt, the out-of-body experience can be damn near life-changing for many people who experience it, especially when coupled with a near-death experience. So, uh, just what the hell is happening here? I mean, can someone get the freaking eggheads on the damn line to figure out what the heck is happening here? I mean, what? Eggheads have been studying this for decades? Yeah. Oh. Why didn't the eggheads let us know? They did? Yeah. And it's here in the script right now? That's right. And I'm going to read it for you all? It's correct. Well, let's get into it then, dead eggheads. Damn. What are you slowing it up for? <laughs> These freaking eggheads. Let's start off with a fun one here, Andy. And then see if there's a... Uh, we're we're going to do a little bit different. Normally we present and then we do skeptics later. We're going to give you the whole enchilada within the enchilada. Enchiladaception. Enchiladaception. We're going to do the story and then the skeptics right after it. Let's start off with a fun one here. In 1968, Dr. Charles Tart. It's pretty fun. Great, great name for Dr. Doctor. Charles Tart could make no farts. His wife could not eat beans. Thank you, Dr. Poos. Uh, he's a professor of psychology at the University of California, Davis, and he studied an anonymous woman, later named Miss Z, uh, who could supposedly leave. <laughs> I studied an anonymous woman in college, too. <laughs> yeah. My wife. Jesus Christ. Um, anyway, anyway, she could supposedly leave her body at will. In order to study her OBE abilities, they created a study consisting of placing a random number on a shelf above the bed where she slept. Ms. Z was then tasked with self-inducing an OBE and looking at the number and then reporting it in the morning when she woke up. The number was chosen after Ms. Z had gone to sleep and was written down and delivered to Dr. Tart in an opaque envelope. Dr. Tart then uh, remained in the room as Miss C, the same room as Miss C, to ensure she did not get back up and check the number out. 
Uh, okay. No, trust me, it's scientific integrity. I yeah. need to watch you while you sleep. Yeah. <laughs> he said, with only the red glow of his cigarette visible. <laughs> the next day, Dr. Tart was stunned that Miss Z was able to recall the number. And in this study, it was the number five. Wow. That's a tough one to remember. I forget that one a lot. I'll be counting. I'll be like, one, two, three, four, six. Oh, yeah, I have a thumb. <laughs> uh, Dr. Dart and his assistant both lied down in the bed. Now, no word on if this was together or separate. You know, does uh, anyone else get a sense of a great rom-com here, Bloomin? I like to think of the two of them laying in the bed together going, wasn't it fun watching that woman sleep last night? <laughs> what other stuff could we do together? <laughs> Anyway, uh, they wanted to see whether it was possible to make out the number from any reflective surfaces while on the bed, and they could not. This was Dr. Tart's explanation of Miss Z's abilities with OBEs. Quote, my informal observations of her over a period of several months undoubtedly distorted by the fact that one can never describe one's friends objectively resulted in a picture of a person who in some ways was quite mature and insightful, and in other ways was so extremely disturbed psychologically that at times, when she lost control, she could possibly be diagnosed as schizophrenic. Some ways, that's how I feel I describe you, Andy. It's in some ways incredibly mature, in other ways so profoundly psychologically disturbed. That's fair. Yeah. And now, for Dr. Hart to prescribe a healthy dose of skepticism to this study. Time to turn your head and cough, because Dr. Hart is grabbing you by the balls. Dr. Hart, skeptic MD, is coming in with his trusty finger straight into the butthole of bunk, and he didn't have time to get his petroleum jelly. Okay. What's going on here, Andy? Did you just... you just try and do two TV taglines for a fictional show where you play a doctor who diagnoses conspiracies? I, I don't know. I mean, maybe I, I don't... I don't know, maybe... Maybe some big name Hollywood producers are listening. Something I don't I don't know. Anywho, according to some skeptics on this study, Miss Z was tasked with recalling a five digit code, not just a number. Also, the study was conducted four times over four separate nights, and she failed the first three nights, but got the last night correct. The study has also been criticized for the lack of video equipment used to monitor the subject, which would have been stronger evidence. And Frankly, that's a weird claim. What? Oh, they should have recorded that on video. I don't think so. If you're doing a psychological study. Let's watch that woman sleep on video. Sounds like Charles Tart thought that one up. Uh, likewise, others have said that Dr. Tart likely fell asleep at some point during the study on the last night. And Miss Z simply got up and looked at the number. Which some <laughs> have suggested this exact movement was recorded on the brainwave records monitored to her head. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, they're oh, like, she did it! They're like in the middle of the did night. Did you fall asleep at all? No, <laughs> I was awake the whole time. <laughs> they're, they're, they said that like you know she was being monitored on like an EEG or whatever, right? And then there's like these clear giant spikes in the middle of the night. <laughs> it's clear that she got up. <laughs> well, I mean that's one way to do it. Well, Andy, I guess what we could say is that that tart study wasn't so sweet after all. But hey. Maybe this next one will get you licking your lips, sugar tits. <laughs> okay. In April 1977, a patient from the Harborview Medical Center, known as Maria, 
claimed to have experienced an out-of-body experience. Uh, during her OBE, she claimed to have floated outside her body and then outside the hospital. Maria later told her social worker, Kimberly Clark, that during the OBE, she had observed a tennis shoe on the third floor window ledge on the north side of the building. Clark then went to the north wing of the building and by looking out the window, could see a tennis shoe on one of the ledges. Clark then published the account in 1984, and since then, it has been yet another well-known OBE story. <sighs> All right, well, here comes Dr. Hart again. Drop trow and bend over. It's time to check your skeptum. Your skeptum. Your skeptum. All right, maybe I'll watch Dr. Hart MD. Yeah, he's he gets he's real sexy, is he? No, oh. and he doesn't get any of the babes either. You know, usually it's like yeah, these, king of queens where yeah. it's you know some slovenly, slovenly overweight, yeah, piece of shit, yeah, with a real sexy babe, right? Not in this one, no. Doctor Hart gets rejected. <laughs> he's single. He's a batch. He's he's single. Uh, but he's got a real, a real abrasive personality. All the scripts are written so that he gets, you know, dates and stuff, but actresses won't do it. It's too unbelievable. <laughs> anyway, in 1996, three researchers, Hayden Ebern, Sean Mulligan, and Barry Beierstein, visited the medical center to investigate Clark's story. They placed a tennis shoe on the same ledge and found that it was visible from within the building and could easily have been observed by a patient lying in bed. They also discovered that the tennis shoe was easy to observe from outside the building and suggested that Maria may have overheard a comment about it during the, her three days in the hospital and then incorporated it into her OBE. They concluded, quote, Maria's story merely reveals the naivete of the power of wishful thinking. End quote from OBE researchers seeking a paranormal explanation. I was like, I wrote that. Plus, Clark did not publish the description of the case until seven years after it happened, which gives the story even less credibility. Well, there are plenty of OBE quote unquote studies like these, but what about some real hard egghead science? Oh, yeah. Enter one Olaf Blanke, a researcher in uh, Switzerland who has been studying the neural implications of the OBE phenomenon. Bunkfuckers, are you familiar with the rubber hand illusion? Oh, I know this one. This is where you go to the movie theater and you've got like a latex hand and you, whoever you're sitting next to, you put it on their knee and it's connected to your, it's connected to your sleeve and they get mad and they jump up and the hand falls off and you go, oh, my hand! And they go, ah! And then you get thrown out of the movie theater because you wait until the very middle of the movie to do that. Right. And then they have to stop the film. And then everybody's pissed because now they can't watch Alvin and the Chipmunks 2, the squeakquel. Right. And also I bring a lot of pig's blood with me to make it seem really realistic, like my hand got ripped off. Well, that's not this illusion. This is a different one. But, you know, on the other hand, free milk duds because people <laughs> drop them on the floor. <laughs> Essentially, Love the going to the movies, rubber hand. <laughs> a rubber hand society. Join for sick pranks. Essentially, the mind can be tricked into perceiving stimulation on objects that are not associated with the body. Essentially, your mind believes fake stuff is part of your real body. Oh. For example, in the classic experiment, a researcher places the subject at a table. 
The subject lays both hands a little past shoulder-width apart and then palms facing down on the table. A divider is placed in between the subject's left arm and their body, blocking any line of sight to their hand. Next, a clearly fake rubber hand is placed on the opposite side of the divider from the real hand, basically in view of the subject while their real, real hand is not in view. A researcher then begins to stroke the rubber hand and their hidden real hand at the exact same time in the exact same, like, cadence. After a few minutes of heavy petting, another researcher enters and stabs the rubber hand with a knife. The subject then typically jolts their real hand back in shock and perceived pain. The mind is tricked into believing that the rubber hand was a real part of their body because the stimulation on the real hand matched what they were seeing on the rubber hand. This is a similar situation with the phantom limb phenomenon in which amputees can quote-unquote still feel their missing limbs. What Blanca is getting at is that the mind can be tricked with its perception of the self and the entities that are the subject of our experience within the physical world. But what about a full-scale rubber hand study for the entire body? What about studying OBEs? Are they within a similar neural path as these other phenomena? Blanca has the subjects wear a virtual reality headset which obscured their vision except for a projection of their own back which was being fed to the headset by a camera mounted a few meters behind them. The projection through the VR headset was displayed in a way that the subject saw it a few meters in front of themselves. Then he had researchers begin stroking the physical back of the subject. A lot of fucking stroking and petting. All right, what the fuck do you psychology people do? We just really enjoy being comforted, Andy. Ugh, God. Sorry. Comfort for the week. <laughs> anyway... The subjects essentially watched a real-time video feed of their backs being stroked displayed a few meters in front of them. They said they felt the stroking at the position they saw in front of them rather than the actual physical touching happening on their backs. Essentially, you feel like the virtual projection of your body is your actual body. This has a bunch of weird medical effects. For example, reaction times are slower and pain effects are far slower. Because your body thinks the pain is affecting your avatar projection instead of your actual physical body. What Blanque found through further research was that the actual areas of the brain where this OBE-like phenomenon is stimulated um, when the phenomenon happens, which we mentioned earlier in the script, is the uh, temp temporal parietal temporal junction. Temporal parietal junction. Yeah. Um, furthermore, Blanque says this has major implications for the future of the human mind and body. For example, is self-consciousness as complex as we think it is? Maybe not, considering how easily the human brain can be tricked into believing that a projection of itself is more real than its actual self, or that rubber hands are part of your real body when they're not. They're clearly not. <laughs> also, he says, we uh, might one day actually be able to fucking project our consciousness into avatars and robots and surrogate bods and shit, which is very cyberpunk. Oh my God, I could finally, finally live out my life as my VR chat, Abby, pregnant Sonic. My OC had sex with his husband, oh, Shronky, which is another OC I made where Shrek and Donkey got into a fight with Gargamel from the Smurfs. <laughs> And he cast a spell to combine them into Shronky. 
And then they had sex with me, Sonic, and got me pregnant. But we're in an open relationship, and I've been seeing Rainbow Dash on the side. Andy, 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 I'm going to stop you right there. You have done a lot of fucked up stuff in your life. But this, this is the worst thing you've ever fucking done. I'm carrying Shrunk's no, baby. Andy, Andy, this is the worst thing you've ever done. <laughs> it's me, Sonic the Hedgehog. I'm carrying Shrunky's baby. Stop it, Andy. Stop it. It's all the handsomeness of Shrek and all the desire to fuck of Donkey. <laughs> it's a sex machine, Shrunky. Thank God you, Gargamel. Thank you, Gargamel. God damn it, Andy. The only ring I'm getting is a wedding ring for Shronky. You're in an open relationship. Well, I still want to lock that shit down. God damn it. I want to make sure. Andy, I can... this is the worst thing you've ever done in your life. Sorry. No VR. I'm taking your VR headset away. Oh, come on. It's not fair. Much like Andy. OBEs are said to be experienced by those who are more fantasy prone. <laughs> oh my god, I'm always fantasizing about Shronky. Yeah, that's right. Your uh, famous, your favorite fantasy author is um, George Jar Jar Martin. Yeah, George. he wrote the Song of Ice and Fire. It's great. Oh, it's so good. It's as much sex and murder as in the regular A Song of Ice and Fire, but every character is Gungan. It's a song of ice and fire. George Jar Jar Martin. Your favorite author. Um, anyway, where was I? Oh, <laughs> in a case study involving 167 participants, the findings revealed that those who claimed to have experienced the OBE were, quote, more fantasy prone, higher in their belief in the paranormal, and displayed greater sot uh, somatoform dissociation, end quote. But one last study that we want to cover with you, bunk funkers, are the AWARE studies involving near-death experiences. In the autumn of 2008, 25 UK and US hospitals began participation in a study coordinated by Sam uh, Parnia and Southampton University known as the AWARE study, which stands for Awareness During Resuscitation. I mean, I get why they picked that as yeah. an acronym, but I think it's cool. I mean, they took AWA from awareness, which already has the entire word aware in it. <laughs> and then the during doesn't contribute anything to the acronym. And then the first two letters of resuscitation. I guess we'll be writing a letter to Sam Parnia. You better believe it. Southampton University. Buckle up. Parnia and colleagues attempted to investigate the OBE experiences of near-death experiences related to cardiac arrest to really determine whether people without a heartbeat or brain activity can have documentable out-of-body experiences. They investigated out-of-body claims by using hidden targets placed on shelves that could only be seen from above. Essentially, you would have to be suspended from the ceiling looking down to see the pictures. The results didn't bode well for anyone believing in out-of-body experiences as a spiritual phenomenon or really anyone. They're kind of a letdown. Because on October 6, 2014, the results of the study were published in the journal Resuscitation, less than 20% of cardiac arrest patients were able to be interviewed uh, as most of them died or were too sick even after successful resuscitation. So there wasn't exactly a big sample size. 
Among those who even reported an awareness and had interviews with Parnia, 46% experienced fragmented memories of events, but nothing related to OBEs or classic near-death experiences. In fact, only 2% exhibited full awareness compatible with OBEs with explicit recall of seeing and hearing events. But no one was able to identify the pictures at all. <laughs> all they got was someone describing the sound of the defibrillator. So, much like a night with me and our, this study really ended up with a disappointing ending. And much like a Nandy, and much like a night with me and Andy, you'll hear the sound of the defibrillator machine. What's that mean? I don't know. You figure it out. <laughs> and don't forget my CPAP machine. <laughs> now, um, the U.S. Air Force was actually an early researcher in the OB phenomenon. Um, they noticed that many pilots were going so fast as you know, jet plane technology developed that they brought themselves into a phenomenon called G-lock or gravity-induced loss of consciousness. Basically, you're going so fucking fast, Chuck Yeager style, that you fucking pass out from the gravity. Never happened to me, Chuck Yeager. Never happened to Chuck Yeager. Nope. It's impossible to actually knock him out. It's yeah. actually physically impossible to he knock him out. He can't be knocked out. He can't. He can never lose consciousness. You could send him at, like, Mach 1,000, right? And he will be conscious the whole time. You could punch Chuck fucking Yeager in the jaw, and your hand will shatter into a 1,000 little pieces. You could wail on him all day with a medical 2 by 4 and he will not get knocked out. Nope. Um, and they would crash because of this. So to solve for this problem, the U.S. Air Force built a giant centrifuge in Texas and then just spun the shit out of a bunch of pilots and measured the effects. <laughs> now that's my government. Woo! <laughs> USA! 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 We don't understand this. Let's just spin a bunch of pilots really fast and see what the <laughs> fuck happens. Yeehaw! <laughs> Classic, baby. What they found was that as, as pilots entered G-Lock, they would feel as though their vision would narrow to a point, like a tunnel, which is akin to a near-death experience. And so what they found was that as you spin the pilots, they would have out-of-body experiences. And then before they lose consciousness, before they hit G-Lock, they would have a near-death experience. So they discovered that these two phenomena are likely linked in some way and probably involve the same area of the brain. But from these studies, what do eggheads believe is actually going on with OBEs? What's the definitive reason for their existence? Well, in typical egghead fashion, no conclusive explanation for OBEs has yet been reached in the scientific community. Jeez Louise. However... Most researchers agree that the strange experience is caused by different psychological and neurological factors. Overall, though, they definitively uh, believe that OBEs are some kind of hallucination caused by a perturbed brain that is getting its sensory wires all mixed up. I'm all shook up. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm out of my body. <laughs> I'm all shook up. <laughs> Carl Sagan. Speaking of doobies, speaking of the world's biggest bong rip. Oh, my God. I went to a party once in 1974, and Carl Sagan was there. And I shit you not, this guy hit a three-story bong harder than any bong I've ever seen hit in my life. <laughs> like the world's biggest bong rip. And a uh, Barbara Honiger. Oh, my God. In 1981, I was at a party with Barbara Honiger. She hit a four-story bong harder than I've ever seen anyone hit a bong <laughs> in my life. World's biggest bong rip. They hypothesized that OBEs might actually be the brain reliving the birthing experience. This is very interesting. Due to the common reports of the tunnel-like passages seen and the cord-like spiritual tether that is sometimes reported that connects you to your floating bod to your real bod, which lines up. The tunnel is your mum's cooter, and um, 
that she popped you out of when you were fucking born, like a little dumbass newborn baby. And the spirit tether is the umbilical cord. It's kind of cool. Yeah, that's cool. So when you have that, when you see in the light through the end of the tunnel, you're actually seeing your mom's vagine. Yeah. And that cord is your little belly button cord. I mean, is this evidence for reincarnation? We'll, we'll talk about it, maybe. Mm -hmm. Susan Blackmore, who is a psychologist very interested in the OBE phenomenon, believes it occurs when a person loses contact with the sensory input of the body while still remaining conscious. You essentially, quote-unquote, maintain the illusion of having a body, you know, because you essentially have had one, you know, your entire life. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember a time before my body. That's true. Your hot little bod. But that awareness of your bod is not tied to your senses anymore. Only your mind. Basically, you lose track of your senses. So that's kind of neat. Yeah. And the world you inhabit while floating in an OBE is not real at all, but completely illusory and generated from your mind. But your mind is damn good at it because uh, even in the absence of tangible sensory information, your mind convinces yourself that the world is real and even more vivid than a lucid dream. Building off that explanation is the idea from Jason Braithwaite, a, a psychologist at Lancaster University, or Lancaster probably is the better way to pronounce it, who theorizes that the brain may take in sensory information of what a bird's eye view of ourselves looks like and build that view internally. And then when the sensory information or something goes haywire in the brain and it can't make sense of what's happening to itself, either from severe trauma or a deep in-between state of sleep and awake, the wires get crossed and the bird's eye model takes over. We've heard a lot from the eggheads on OBEs, but what about some alternative takes on the phenomenon? What do they believe is happening with out-of-body experiences? Paranormal believers have long believed that OBEs are no mere trick of psychology, but a representation of our spirit or soul literally detaching itself from our physical body and floating outside it in an act of, quote, traveling clairvoyance, end quote. Plenty of researchers and believers in the occult, theosophists, and even psychologists believe this subtle body, so-called subtle body theory, in which we have an etheric body which can detach itself from our physical one and walk amongst the physical or astral realm. And further still, the OBE and near-death experience are said to be evidence of an afterlife in which our spirit or soul is about to ascend to some kind of heaven, or hell for you little devils out there. <laughs> but then, just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. Oh. hoo -ah. Oh my God. This is Al Pacino from Godfather 3? Just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. Wow, Silvio Dante. uh hoo -ah. Rolling, uh, he's a... Uh, He's been uh, he's been shut out with your impression. Hua! I smell the scent of a woman. Who says I haven't smelled the scent of a woman? I may be blind, but I can smell women. Hua! <laughs> what is he saying? He's saying hua? Say hello to my little friend. Hua! <laughs> I call him hua. Hua! Well, eggheads and paranormies might have their own ideas of what an out-of-body experience means, but hey, maybe you bunk funkers should find out for yourselves for once. Yikes. The Monroe Institute's Nancy Penn Center is a facility specializing in out-of-body experience induction. 
And the Center for Higher Studies of Consciousness in Brazil is another large OBE training Ooh. facility. So there you go. Nice Brazilian vacation. But hey, you don't need to go to some fancy facility. Here's some instructions for how to induce an OBE right in your very own bed. Step one, you got to enter that mind awake, body asleep state. And there are three techniques listed to help achieve this. One, you can set an alarm clock for four hours ahead of the time you want to wake up and go to sleep. Wake up after the four hours of sleep, get out of bed, go read a book or keep yourself busy and awake for one hour. Then come back to bed and try to fall asleep on your back. Step two, sleep all night and wake up in the morning as usual, but keep your eyes closed and don't move a muscle. Step three, look up some OBE inducers on YouTube or Google and then uh, play them all night while you sleep. They should wake you up periodically and help induce the mind awake slash body asleep state. You better not look up any ODB inducers. Otherwise, you might meet the spirit of old dirty bastard and he'll be looking for his money. Believe me. So at this point, your body should be paralyzed and your mind should be awake. Here are two techniques to help you separate your mind from your body. Number one, imagine a rope above you. And without physically moving, imagine yourself grabbing the rope and climbing. Visualize the rope and how it looks. Visualize how it feels in your hands. The sounds. The smells. Oh, yeah. That's a nice, far, that's a nice fucking rope right there. Oh, that feels good. Uh, oh, uh, any, anywho. Uh, visualize your arms slowly moving out of your body. But don't physically move. Then, once you visualize your arms moving out, visualize yourself using your spirit's arms to push the rest of your body up and out of your physical body. At this point, you should be within an out-of-body experience and be ready to float around the world around you. But don't get discouraged. The practice of OBE, lucid dreams, and astral projection, it takes some practice. You can overexcite yourself upon first achieving this phenomenon and wake yourself up. It takes a lot of concentration to maintain composure while within such a bizarre state of mind. There you have it, bunk funkers. The out-of-body experience. Have you ever had one? If so, what was it like? Let us know. And do you believe they are a result of our kooky brains getting all mixed up? Or is there something more spiritual going on here? To help you contemplate, lay down. Close your eyes. Set an alarm for every 20 minutes. Visualize a large plate. Visualize two grotesque, mouth-breathing, obnoxiously giggling podcast co-hosts making too much eye contact. But do not move. Do not be disturbed. Awake at the alarm, and you will have fully visualized the whole enchilada. Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast will be right back after this brief message. Well, hey, podcast listener. My name is Vince, and I'm the host of a show called The RR Show. It stands for Reddit Readings. We're going to sit down twice a week, and I'm going to bring you the most entertaining stories from all of the best subreddits that exist online. Things like malicious compliance, petty revenge, hey, lady, I don't work here. 
Oh, there's so much more. Lots of great stories and things you won't believe. Like the one time uh, this dude was caught in a bathroom with his friend and he was slapping them because that was the only way that he could actually legitimately help them. A mall cop comes in with a taser. Oh, yeah, the rest is history. It's going to be fun. There's, uh, well, I don't know, I got like 20 seconds left, so I don't got much more time to tell you another story. But just join me on The RR Show. It's from Evergreen Podcast, produced in partnership with Wessler Media. So The RR Show. Wherever you get podcasts, subscribe today. And uh, it's like an adult story time. Let's hang out together. The RR Show. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, welcome back, Bunk Funkers. Hey, that was our research of out of experiences. We hope you had a nice nap. Andy, I feel like I know the answer to this question, but have you ever had an out-of-body experience? No, but... Yep. I knew it. Wait, there's a butt. Nah, there's always a butt. Yeah, with you, there's a big old fucking butt. Yeah, big butt. You fucking dumb truck ass motherfucker. <laughs> I'm like a Pixar mom. You're like a fucking you're honk, honk. Beep, like a big old beep, Pixar beep. mom. I'm backing this thing up. You got two big old mud flaps on the back of your cheeks. Yeah, and I'm, you know, full of dump. I'm you got a derriere. You got two big old pudding cups on the back of that ass. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you got big old meat seats. I want to... Those are some spankable spams back there. Anyway. Thanks. What were you saying about your butt? Oh, uh, so anyway, my butt. No, uh, I never had an out-of-body experience. Okay. But. But. I do dream quite a bit in the third person. Hmm. So I dream... I don't know how how everybody else dreams. That's very different for me. I'm always first person, but always. a lot of times I dream outside of myself. I've never had an I've never had a third person dream. I dream like a bird's eye view. Wow. Or it's more almost cinematic, I would say, a lot of my dreams where it's like there's different angles and stuff like I it's this thing where I feel like I'm me watching myself do wow. things. Wow. So like I feel the things because it's me uh-huh. that's experiencing them, but I'm also disconnected because i'm watching me interesting so it's like you know if i'm in danger in a dream i feel in danger but my view is of me outside of me if wow that makes sense. so you kind of tangentially have kind of had one where you're watching yourself yeah kind of um i mean i never had like this ex- i never had like a near-death experience right like i've never been in a situation yet yet i've <laughs> my butt! No! My pudding cups! They're leaking! No, I never had like a near-death experience. I've never been in a situation where I was trampled by horses or, you know, in a bad car crash or hit my head on a rock while we're going to, to the bus stop. I don't... Yeah. Um. So I never had a near-death experience. You've never... fallen quite a bit. But you oh, I fall a lot, but I unfortunately always stay conscious. <laughs> yeah, you fully remember it. It would almost be better when you fall as an adult person to go unconscious because then people would be like, oh, shit, that guy's really hurt. Instead of being like, what the fuck is that stupid fat oaf doing? Which is what I feel like people. I twisted my ankle walking down the stairs to the subway that. platform one day. And, you know, it's like I, I didn't fall like all the way. I got right back up. So I didn't really hold anything up. But I can imagine people behind me being like, what the fuck is wrong with him? Fucking fat oaf town idiot the fuck is this <laughs> they're so aggressive and i'm limping away i'm like and the people are like are you okay you dumbass like what the <laughs> fuck is wrong with you 
We just what the fuck are you doing? I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine. fine. I'm calm. Okay, don't worry. No, I'll be fine. No, I don't need to sit down. Oh god, my ankle. I remember that. I remember when that happened. Um, yeah, I've never had one either. Um, I don't. The only thing I could think is even. No, it's not close to it at all. I've had dreams where I wake myself up because I fall in the dream. Mm-hmm. And then you wake up and you feel like you like for a split second, you're like, oh, my God, I'm falling. And then you're like, oh, wait, no, I'm not. Do you ever have a dream where you died? No, I did have a dream like that once. Wow. Except not. I didn't die in the dream, but I got shot in the neck. Wow. Wow. What a spot. Yeah. Who shot you? Who shot Mr. Andy? An unknown, unknown person. I don't. Rem- oh, it was God. not like a. It was one of these situations. I mean, like, was I, it Maggie? It's a situation. Yeah, it was Maggie. It was uh, actually it was Waylon Smithers. <laughs> no, the uh, uh, it was like, oh, I had this dream where my mom's purse got stolen, and I was like, hey, don't steal my mom's purse. And this person pulled out a red gun, like a like a red handgun. <laughs> I don't. What a hero. Hey, don't steal my mom's bird. I mean, I don't know what I did if I ran after him. I mean, it seems unlike me to do that. Like, I would be like, you can, it's just your stuff. Like, you can fix that. It's not worth it. But hey, me in the dream, I'm very brave. And sure. so I got shot. <laughs> and then I got shot in the neck. That was my reward. There you go. Never be brave. I mean, what kind of, how much cash could my mom have had in her purse that it would make murder necessary? I mean, that guy made a real miscalculation. With distinctive red gun, too? I know, the smoking red gun that's very prominent. Like, that's, that's. I mean, that's good evidence. I mean, I couldn't tell anybody I was dead. But as soon as I got gun. shot, I woke up. Wow. Interesting. And it's one of those things where I'm like, oh, I, like, it really, it really freaked me out a little bit. A little bit? I woke up, I was feeling my neck. I was like, oh my God, I got hurt. But I was fine. This, uh, this topic, um has an interesting philosophical discussion on what what is the self. Yeah, what is think? consciousness? What is consciousness? What is the self? What do you what do you think, Andy? Um if we can be so easily tricked, are, are we 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 you know, philosophers and writers and stuff, they put so much fucking effort on the self, this human self. Yeah. And it's like your dumbass brain can be tricked. You look you're looking at a clearly rubber hand. I think thinking, "Oh my god, that's my real hand." I think that the Blanc, uh, like, here's my take, okay? Blanc's work, like, to me, what that says, I mean, I'm no egghead, right? You're no egghead. I'm I'm as dumb a piece of shit as you're likely to find. Oh, for sure. And with very little insight on the human brain or the human condition or any part of being human. I have no empathy. Um, I'm barely human myself. I'm, like, a subhuman degenerate. Yeah, if Rob Zombie wrote a song about you, you'd be less human than human. Yeah, I agree with that. And I've asked Rob Zombie to write songs about me. I send him a lot of pictures of myself, and yet he won't do it. What gives? <laughs> but here's my take. All right. I've seen the rubber hand experiment before, right? I think okay. everybody's seen this, right? Yeah. yeah. If this you take a psychology 101 class. You yeah. It's a very like common thing, you know? They stab the hand, and people jerk their real hand away from under the table. They're like, oh, shit, you stabbed me. Um, the, the VR headset thing, I never heard of this before. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting. It's incredibly interesting. It's very interesting that people that you could like, you know, if they were going to go to the take this really ra- ratchet this up a notch and start oh, stabbing yeah. people in the back, yeah, which is what I think is should happen, yeah. No, but they, you know, it's like it's weird to think that you would be like, oh shit, I'm getting stabbed, 
but you don't feel the pain until you're like, oh crap, that's me. Right? It's like a cartoon where they run out off the ledge and they don't fall until they realize that there's no ground underneath them. Right, right, right. So to me, I think what all this says, again, I have no credentials. This is just me spitballing. Okay. Is this says there's our brains do a lot, right? But there's so much stimuli around us constantly, all the time. Yeah. We already know you have to filter out a lot of it. Yeah. Because you can't take it all in. Sure. You can't concentrate. If you were absolutely taking all the stimuli that your body can accept at once. Right. So we trained ourselves to focus on what's important. Yeah. So you get into these situations where the senses are set up. It's like the brain is so easily tricked because we just don't use enough of it. Like there's so much stimuli, we almost like to exist in this world, our brains are so underpowered, I guess, Hmm. for all of the the things that we could accept that our bodies are equipped to intake. Like our brains don't do enough work, so we have to do this. So that's why your brain gets so easily tricked. So it's like, to me, it just, it just, it, it underscores that, that like as powerful as our brains are. You're it's saying like we still aren't powerful enough to really like have total awareness of everything around us. Yeah. You're saying your brain is a little bit more mechanical than we think it is where it's like there's inputs and outputs. And when you overload the inputs with different things, like you're being stroked on the back. And then also it's like a visual, like you're getting visual information of a back being stroked. That's your back and like all this stuff. And like, then you have the touch sense and the sound and the feel. And like, and so it's like, you're saying that all those inputs start to overload the brain. It goes, it malfunctions. Well, I think that, I think that our brains are just like in a constant state of like taking in everything, right. But figuring out what things to ignore. Okay. And so your brain gets trained very early on to ignore a bunch of stuff. Right. That's happening around you. Right. Because it's not relevant. You know, it's like we, we have that like instinctual, like animal thing of like, only trying to pay attention to stuff that helps us survive. Right. Instead of paying attention to everything. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff that's happening that that's not relevant. That's true. And it's like people who live in our world now. Especially like cities and stuff, you know, where it's like. Like, you know. Like, oh, did you. I live near a fire station. Yeah. I don't like. Every time a, every time I hear a siren, I don't like perk up like a dog. You right. Know? It's like I learned, you learn to live with it. Right. Whereas I remember, like, I lived in Chicago for a while. My parents would come and visit. My dad and mom stayed at a hotel room that was near a fire station. My dad was like, I couldn't sleep. There were fire trucks going all night long. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, it's the city. That happens. It was ambulances, probably. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, I mean, it doesn't bother me. I sleep no, through yeah, it. No, yeah, yeah. I, I don't ever My dad couldn't sleep. Um, the sounds of the highway, the sounds of planes. So it's like, if anything, being in a city, being in a place where there's even more stimuli all the time. Right. Like my brain is even more focused on just ignoring a bunch of stuff. Fair enough. Because I've learned you condition yourself to like accept things as being normal as being not important. And so it's like, then you get into this situation where they're like shutting off part of it. Your brain's already conditioned. Right, right accept like certain stimuli and to say like, here's what's important. Here's what to focus on. And I'm not saying they set you up for failure. It's just like, that's how the brain works. You ever try and like write an email while listening to music that has lyrics? 
Yeah. And you're just like, I can't fucking do it. Like, I can't think on how to write. It's like, it's too much. You're overloaded and you just, your brain is like, no, nah, it's not going to work, dude. I got to turn the music off. Well, I have it this, I have it this way. This is how I experience it. If I'm trying to listen to music, mm-hmm. if I'm, if I'm trying to like write an email mm-hmm. and I'm also listening to music that I've never heard before, but I'm trying to like determine whether I like it or not. I yeah. can't do both of those things. Yeah, 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 yeah. If it's something I already know, I won't even, and I'm listening to it. I'll just ignore it. Mm-hmm. I tune it out and I write the email. And so it's like, I do that with new stuff. So if I'm like listening to something new and I'm trying to figure out if I like it, I'll be like, oh, shit, I haven't been listening to this. It's like, right. I listened to two songs and I don't even know what happened. Right. Because I was writing this email. Mm-hmm. But then there's other things like I can sit and listen to a song while doing like a creative project or something that doesn't, or like, uh, like a tedious task, like going through your email and like cleaning it out or something like yeah. something where you don't really have to think that hard. You're not writing anything. It's like, I can listen to music and do that at the same time. It's kind of interesting. It's like, you know, I don't, yeah, I think it's like your I think brain. We only have so much bandwidth. You only have so much bandwidth, you know, it's like, but then, and then so your, your brain, brain just kind of defaults to whatever it can. Yeah. You know, to keep you alive. But I think it's like you un- you subconsciously make these decisions about right. here's what's important to me right now. Mm-hmm. And here's what I'm focused on. And it's like probably people who are in that situation with the backstroking. I mean, you could probably like keep your consciousness aware and be like, no, this is my real back. Like, like if you, you ever do yoga? No. Well, it's like sometimes in yoga, people to like, they fart. Know, <laughs> yeah, I fart doing every exercise so it's irrelevant to me again my brain shuts that out i just fart every exercise instantly constantly get anywhere near a treadmill i just start farting (laughs) so but they do this thing where it's like you're like working on a specific part of your body like it's like okay focus on your feet focus on your feet i know you talk about this with lucid dreaming like that's a that's a technique like focus on your hands yep but it's like you you focus your mind on a part of your body. And one thing for me, like doing yoga, is like a YouTube video, uh, Yoga with Adrian. She said once in a video, think about your jaw. Relax your jaw. I never thought about that before. It's true. I never thought about relaxing my jaw. And now I think about it all the time. Yeah. When I go to sleep at night, that's the last thing I do before I fall to fall asleep because if I'm laying there awake and I can't go to sleep, I'll realize like my jaw is clenched. Yeah. Like my teeth are together. Right. And all I have to do is like, if I just put my focus on my jaw, it'll relax. But if I don't, it's clenched. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That like meditative yoga shit. I've done that before. I don't do like stretching yoga, but, um, so I guess what I'm saying is like in this VR thing, you could probably like think about your back. Well, there's also, Focus I mean, on your back. I think, I don't know. There's only so much. If, if, if your brain is confusing your sensory input, you know, there's only so much you can do, but there's another part of the study we kind of left out because, you know, it's just, you, you get in, you get the whole enchilada on it. But, uh, is that at the, after doing all that stroking shit, he would, he would like move the participants back. Like he would physically like have them walk whatever, five steps backwards and say, go to, go to the original spot you were standing in. Mm-hmm. And they go to where the, they go to where the was. VR headset was, right? They don't go to where they actually were standing. Yeah. Which is super interesting. So it's like, 
I do think that we build a conception of it's like drunk goggles, though. And I wonder too, if you went back to like 400 years in history, would people do the same thing? Did people 400 years from ago have conception of themselves outside themselves? Before there were like, I don't know. If we went back like even before paintings, like before people were like making quality images of themselves, right? Because like now. I have a photograph. Like, I understand what I look like. Yeah. I have a mirror. I guess go back before there were mirrors, before there were, like, realistic paintings. Would people be able to have have a conception of themselves? You'd have rivers and shit. You can still see yourself in a river. Fuck. I don't know. I'm just wondering, is there... But they probably wouldn't have as accurate ones, but you would probably... I mean, it 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 would make sense that like sleep paralysis and these out of body experiences still existed back then. Yeah. So you would probably have people who were like, I had a fucking like I like they're trying to communicate that feeling to someone else in their society, in their community, and that person's like, What the fuck, dude? Dude, you might be like a fucking magic man. Uh you might be a witch. Do we need to murder you? Be you? A shaman, Do we dude? need to tie you up to a post and set you on fire? Let's give you some fucking silly sideline. Bill Clinton. That's my hi. You might be, you might be a shaman. You might you want to take some magic mushrooms and see if you can talk to God. If you wake up at night and your body doesn't move, but your mind does, <laughs> you might be sleep paralysis suffering hey, to me, Bill Clinton. <laughs> let me ask you something. Is your concept of self all the memories that you have, or is it something different? What are we? Yep. Good question, Bill Clinton. It's a fun question. It is a fun question. Let's, you know, let's expand upon it. This gets back to like, and I do have a lot of thoughts on this. This question that I asked. Especially in relation to this topic. All right, here's a question, Bunkfucker. Okay. Let me pull it up for the Bunkfucker. Let me pull it for the Bunkfucker. Okay. It kind of is related, but it's not also related. The question is, Bunkfunkers, in philosophy, if does what you remember make you who you are? Is what you remember make you who you are? If you woke up tomorrow with amnesia, you lost all memories of who you were, your name, everything you had ever done, all the little activities, would you still be yourself? If Andy woke up tomorrow, he didn't remember me. He didn't remember the podcast. Thankfully, he didn't remember all the horrible shit he's done in his life. All the people he's wronged. Oh, that's a lot to forget. All the horrors and the mm-hmm. and the and the terrible, terrible things he's done in his life. Yeah, I've done a lot of them. To himself and to others. Mm-hmm. He didn't remember any of that. Wow. He didn't remember his love of mustard. A clean slate. He didn't remember his love of garlic. All of it. He's never experienced anything. He doesn't even know what a sandwich is. No oh, cheese. Would he still be Andy? Or and that begs the question, Is are we just a collection of memories? Or are you... What What are you? What are you? Who are you? What's your thoughts, Andy? You have some deep, you have some deep thoughts on this. You're going to come in and school some people. I do think that we are, in a lot of ways, a, a reflection of our memories. Yeah. Um, you know, I think this gets back to like... Mandela effect a little bit. Uh-huh. You know, our memories are like malleable. Uh-huh. And we can kind of make our memories be what we want. Uh-huh. And I think that that's true because I think a lot of people remember the things that they want to remember. 
whether they're real or not. You know, like if we look at like what's objective, like events that happened, I think people always remember things in the way that it fits this narrative that they've built about who they are and what their life is a little bit. And some people, you know, I'm sure there are people who remember things and say like, this is the weirdest thing that ever happened to me. Like it doesn't fit my personality at all. So there's probably different, different shades of this, different levels. But I also think that ourselves are constructed a little bit from perception. Like we put something out to other people and people are very social. Yeah. And we're always interacting with each other. And I think that ourselves in a lot of ways are defined by how other people react to whatever we do. Yeah. Because it's like, if I lost all my memories, who would I be? I don't know. Like, what would I do? I don't know. I have no idea. Like if I lost all my memories, because I think a lot of stuff that you do, you do because that's how you, like you learned to do things. You know what I mean? Like you were taught. Nobody is born innately knowing how to do everything that it requires to live in the modern world. Yeah. So you learn a lot of things. And like people that teach you things maybe don't do them in a way that other people think is a good way to do stuff. But you end up doing stuff that way anyway because that's how you like learned to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I lost all of my memories, like I would for sure not be exactly the same, I'm sure. But there's I, no way you would. I think there's, you know, like you get feedback from how other people perceive you too. Mm-hmm. And that shapes what you do. Yeah. So I don't think that it's fair to say that we're only a collection of our own memories. Because I think there's feedback from socialization too that impacts how we, what we put out to the world. And I mean, if you really want to dig into it and say like, well, what are we even when you take away socialization? Like at our core... Right. What are we with no thoughts, like a total blank canvas as an adult human being? Like, what are you with absolute starting from nothing? Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't I don't know. I think you would be like. Confused by everything. Because if you had no memories, you would know nothing. Like if you think like take me back to like being a newborn baby, but as an adult person. Like, you couldn't just slap me on a bicycle and be like, hey, ride down to the store. Like, I wouldn't be like, what the fuck is this thing? This is weird. A Schwinn? I wouldn't even know. You know, you wouldn't know. Give how me a to, trek at you least. You wouldn't know how to talk. Like, yeah. you could you could totally reprogram yourself if you lost all your memories. Yeah, I mean, I think you're hitting on the right. I think I think it's we, we are not the result of our memories. We are the result of what we remember. We are yeah. not what we remember. We are the result of what we remember. Everything that's ever happened to you, however you perceived that, and whatever yeah. parts of that you actually have in your mind. And use. Every bit of that is what makes you who you are at that moment. And I think people are constantly undergoing change because new things are always happening to them. Yeah. And they're always getting new experiences. And so I feel like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you put it a good way. Like we're, we're not just our memories. We're the result of our memories. I have a lot of memories that I don't remember. Yeah. And therefore they don't, they don't, I can't do anything about them. I, there's no results from those memories. Yeah. At the same I mean, time, I still think that if you took away all your memories, you'd still have certain like genetic and instinctual things within you to like survive. You wouldn't be like, Oh, 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 I, what is like, you'd still like, you, you wouldn't, 
like you would still know that you like need to breathe and eat and like yeah do shit to survive and be you would have you're the result of things that you you're like i remember being hungry and like i know that i need to feed self like you but you would still instinctually know some things yeah you would still feel hunger you would still feel thirst you would probably be afraid of a lot of stuff because yeah. you we have innate need to protect ourselves right even with no memories like you know some i don't know i read something a while ago about feral children like children who at a very young age like get left in the wilderness or whatever right. and they they learn to survive and it's kind of like they revert you know they lose language and stuff because yeah. they don't have to use it and it's it's just it's like your brain is very malleable yeah. but there's some things that are programmed in us that are just like part of animal nature mm-hmm and I think you'd still have that regardless. You wouldn't lose that even if you wiped all your memories because it's not really a memory. That's just an instinct. Right. Um, but it's, you know, I think, I mean, even, even I think animals have like memories and stuff. You know what I mean? Like they remember how to do things or like mm-hmm. if you have a pet, your pet memorizes your home. Right. Like they learn how to live with you. It's not like every pet could just walk into your house and like instantly everything is just they know how to do it. It's like if you brought in a wild cat to your home, it wouldn't know to use the litter box. It might do it on accident, but it wouldn't necessarily know to like go to the litter box. Uh, cats actually do that kind of instinctively. So fuck you. Well, but it would be afraid of a lot of stuff and it wouldn't know that like, like, uh, you know, a well, spray bottle, a spray okay. bottle. If so you like, got a dog, the dog wouldn't know to use the toilet. Right. You have to train a dog to do that. Sure, sure. Uh, and where to do it, yeah. But I think what we're getting at is like, yeah, you are a collection of your memories, though. Yeah. If you lost them, you wouldn't be Andy anymore. Because you'd have to relearn everything, and you might not fucking like the same shit. And Again, you'd be a totally different person. Yeah. And, and I it, probably wouldn't like you. Well, you don't like me I now. don't even like you now. So who cares? Maybe, Maybe I would like, like you better. <laughs> That's why I'm going to hit you on the fucking head. <laughs> Please do. Put me out of my misery. <clears throat> No, I do. I do think that um, I think you're right. You're the result of the things you remember. But if you lose those memories. I mean, then I have to remember all this shit and I might be totally different. I might have a totally different reaction to stuff. Yeah, I think I mean, <clears throat> I think it's like probably. I don't know, coin flip. Yeah. Like, could you end up exactly the same? I don't think so. Maybe. But maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Because I think that. Like you, you have to go back to like, you have memories from your childhood. Yeah. If you started as an adult, like, and you were wiped clean of all memories, you would never be able to duplicate everything that happened to you already. No matter how you tried, it would never be exactly the same. Yeah. And a lot of that would be due to like, you know, I do think that it's a lot of it is social cues and things that we, that we shape and that affects how we remember things. Like, I think that affects our perception of things that happen to us. For sure. Because it's like if you pee your pants when you're 14 years old. This is not a true story, bunk bunkers, okay? <laughs> it's not me. This is just an example. Uh, uh, if you pee your pants when you're 14 years old. Yeah. You're probably going to face some ridicule. Sure. That will probably be a bad memory. Yeah. Whereas if... You just peed your pants and nothing happened. You had to change your pants. You might be like, oh, well, that happened. And it wouldn't be, affect you at all. Right. But like if you peed your pants at high school, 
Like people would probably be like, oh, there's that kid that pissed his pants, and it would probably affect you, and that would be a big memory for you. Yeah. And have a lot of negative things, and that would probably affect you in some way. And I don't know. Maybe it makes you really conscious of when you have to use the bathroom. And you always make sure you know where the restrooms are, just in case. And you always bring an extra pair of underwear and pants because you never know. Maybe that's how it happens. When instead, it could have just been that everybody ignored it or just realized that this is just a natural thing that happens sometimes. And it's fine. And it's no reason to judge somebody for the rest of their lives because of it. And you don't have to be referred to as the piss panther person for the rest of your freaking life. Mr. P pants. <laughs> so maybe that memory would affect you. Maybe Again, not. this is not a, this is just an example. There's there's been there's been like studies that show that like people who have a lot of like amnesia or even like short term memory loss where like you're basically like every whatever yeah. seven seconds you forget things. If it's not long term memory, it's if, if it's in your short term memory where they've described that they feel like they're living someone else's life. Yeah. Which is fucking crazy. Yeah. To, to like think about like, I know I'm living my life, but if I suddenly stopped remembering everything and like, it would be like, I'm living, like I have those a lot. Like I have those kinds of things. I don't have out of body experiences, but I have things where like, I start thinking about something and like all of a sudden I have this feeling of like, and maybe it is a little bit out of body where like, I feel like, whoa, like, is this all real? Like, is everything real? Am I real? Did that really happen to me? Like, are we do like, is this like, and then like my mind starts like expanding and I'm like, okay, everything's so real. Like all this stuff that happened, like I ordered, I ordered a book yesterday and somebody somewhere in some other part of the country put that book in the bag and then they sealed the bag up and then they shipped the bag and then somebody took the bag and they took it to my house and then I opened it in the bag and it's like, it's real. And then somebody had to manufacture this and somebody like cut the tree down and like, and it's like, you just keep doing that and you keep spiraling. And then like, you're like, is this all real? Like, is this, is this fake? Like, is this really happening to me? And like, you like kind of spiral out of control and then you snap out of it and you realize I got to take a piss and get some coffee. <laughs> yeah, I don't piss your pants. <laughs> but these, you know, to people with amnesia or who have these like short term memory losses, they describe it as like, dude, I'm living someone else's life. And that's like, that's like, what? that's, that's, I can't fathom that because it's like, I mean, imagine like going to the grocery. You don't feel like you're living your own life. And then you, come you feel home. like you're somebody else in someone yeah. else's body. It's just like, imagine you come home and then people are like, oh, you, how was the trip to the grocery? And you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. And they're like, you were just at the grocery 15 minutes ago. Imagine like, how crazy oh you would feel. Yeah. You would feel fucking insane. You'd be like, what? You'd be like, I didn't do that. They're like, yes, you did. But that's, you know, it's like, I think it's true because we don't have any conception of the future. Right. The future is completely unknown. We can only predict things. Right. And nobody's really sure. So we only can exist in the past. In a way. Because like, yeah, it's this this is happening right that's now. True, the past and and the our present. conception of the present is like just generally everything that's happening at that moment. But that's a very loose definition. Like really, if you think about it, the present doesn't exist. It's just the past. It's either stuff that's about to happen or stuff that just happened. Right. So it's like the present, the present is, is our idea. Mm. And I think it just helps to make us more sane and grounded. But really, it's like every word I'm going to say, I don't know what I'm going to say to you. I never know what you're going to say to me. I mean, and most some people, days I think you're going to greet me with a hug. Some days I think you're going to stab me in the front. And I like to keep you guessing, <laughs> which is why I stab you so many times. Ouch. <laughs> uh, but it's like, I'm either about, I, you know, I'm about to say a word. I don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, whatever else I say to you, 
that I already said it, you know? There's no point where I'm like actively saying something to you. I'm either about to say it or I already said it. Yeah. I mean, I have a friend who uh, he's been commonly referred to on this show before. He's my friend who is a pilot. Yeah. Um, he has a lot of he like- He is a truck stop. He is a pilot truck stop. <laughs> That's right. He's a full-on pilot truck stop. Art's best friend. Um, he, uh, But he has a lot of sleep paralysis and like lucid dreams. And he tried to train himself to do like astral projection and lucid dreaming in college mm -hmm. when we went to college together. And um, I mean, he was describing to me some of the things that he's experienced where like, you know, he can like walk, he walked down the hallway of our dorm, but it's like empty and dark and like really fucked up. And like, he'll have like these sleep paralysis where he hears these like low drone kind of drum ethereal noises and like, these fucking spooky ass lights that are showing everywhere. It's, it's pretty gnarly. I mean, but it, you know, I mean, it's like these out of body experiences. It's like, you know, do you, do you believe that these are, I guess really it's like, do you believe that you are traveling to some kind of afterlife or different plane of existence? You know, um, I guess that's our verdict, right? Yeah. And maybe we should just get into it. I mean, I like the, uh, what was it Blackmore study yeah. that, or the, the, the hypothesis that this yeah. is like where your brain gets jumbled and disconnected from its like accepting sensory information. Because I think we are, we always have a conception of what we are, right? right? Like that's probably what self is, is our self-constructed conception of what we are. And whether we realize it or not, we always have this conception of what's around us. Like, and whether we know that for a fact or not, our brain creates that because that's what, like, places us in reality. Right, but it's like, like, our brain has sensory inputs that can kind of tell us what's behind me or what's to the right. left or, like, you know, but it's like, we're so stimulated through our visual inputs. Like, that's how we really, like, make sense of a lot of things. But, you know, people who don't have their visual inputs have heightened hearing. Yeah. So it's like, other senses are much more heightened, right? So. Yeah. Your brain will compensate for the different sensory inputs and build a a spatial world around you. And again, think about it. If you didn't have so many inputs already, yeah, you would get more information from the other stuff, right? Like, like you said, people who are blind, yeah, are sometimes shown to have enhanced hearing. Yeah, it's like you and I could have enhanced hearing theoretically. But our brains don't have the bandwidth to accept all of that stimuli or we've we're so trained to accept visual stimuli over auditory stimuli. Mm -hmm. It's like, who knows? Maybe we could taste the air more. You know what I mean? Like, of course, this all comes back to you just want to eat the fucking air. I just want to eat the world. And <laughs> but but sincerely, like, what are we not smelling? What are we not smelling? What are we not smelling? <laughs> Smells are very powerful. The government is covering it up. What are we not smelling? <laughs> uh, that's the conspiracy here. Animals can see and, uh, you know, there's there's a whole world of sensory, of, of stimulation stimulation that we can't make any sense of. Yeah. I mean, if we, if an animal, you know, if, if like an animal with a really powerful nose, like a dog, yeah. could be granted consciousness enough to talk to us and explain their conception or like describe the world around them or like draw a picture 
I don't think that we would probably a human and a dog would draw the same picture necessarily, no, yeah. because their their brains are processing the stimuli differently than we are, and I mean it's like objectively, what is it? I don't know. You know, it's like people who are colorblind, even. Yeah, yeah. It's like we're all looking at the same exact thing, but it's like it looks different to two different people, right? And it's like, so what is it actually? It's like that stupid dress. Yeah, the dress exactly. What is it really? I mean, which I think was blue and gold. I don't remember. Or you could have been black and, and black, black and blue, and, and then there was a people who were like, "It's white and blue," and everyone was like, "Shut the fuck up." Yeah, I was one of the people that got told to shut the fuck up. Yeah. Well, I mean, you also you you also were like, "What's the point of this, guys? It's just a dress in general. It's not even an attractive dress." I wouldn't wear it. Not in a heartbeat. Forget it. Not even if it was an emergency. Not even if I pissed my other dress. <laughs> Which I, I wouldn't do. I'm sorry that I submitted that to the announcements, the school announcements, okay? And I had the principal fucking shout you out as this the pants pisser. That's right. As as is as is Canon, Art and I went to high school together. Even though we didn't grow up in the same area of the country. Nope, 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 nope. nope. We were vastly different in age. Yep, 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 yep. We did go to high school together. It's true, we did. I was held back a number of years. <laughs> Ten years. Um, I don't know, Andy. I think we got to get to verdicts here on what you think about out-of-body experiences. Are they spiritual or are they a phenomena of the brain? Well, I'm going to say I do think that it's a phenomena of the brain. And what kind do you think it is? I think... Well, I think it's pretty interesting to say like, oh, maybe this is your like reliving the birth experience. That's a neat one. It's a neat one because it's like, you know, the thing about your brain is that you have these memories. It's just like your brain changes as you age. So memories, you know, you get this point where you remember stuff. Memories from before that, you still have them. They're still in there somewhere. You just can't access them because can't your brain changes. Them. Yeah. So maybe, you know, you go through some sort of trauma. And suddenly you unlock these things. Your brain still has them. You just can't access them unless there's some other thing. But I mean, that's just speculative. I think it makes more sense to me to say like out-of-body experiences are, it's your perception of the world around you. Yeah. You remember it. Mm -hmm. You've somehow, through some reason, become sort of dissociated from the physical stimuli of your body. So you're like, you've gone into this state where you're like remembering things, yeah. you know, or you're like, you know, like your friend, your pilot friend walking the dorms of the, of the, of the walking the halls of the dorms. Yeah. That's why it didn't make sense. I used the wrong word. Walking the halls of the dorms. It's like he did that before. So he already had an idea, a conception of that. It's like, I doubt that people have out of body experiences and say like, I went to a place that I've never thought about before and I never had any conception of it. That's astral projection. Right. Which is a different topic. Right. But tangentially related to what we're talking about right, right now. And even then, it's like, I mean, we'll save it for that right. show. But I'm thinking like without a body experiences, like even people who say they go to heaven, it's like even, you know, the atheist mm -hmm. from the story. The horse trampler. Leslie Lupo. The horse trampler. She had some conception of what heaven is, right? Like, Yeah. Heaven's a place on earth. Yeah, exactly. Like people... People have an idea of what they think heaven would be like because it's a like broad concept. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that like I think it's just you go to that place where your your mind takes over. But 
I mean, saying all that, this is one of those topics where it's kind of like, I mean, is it real? Is it not? Like, I guess if people have this experience, it's real, right? It's a real experience. Yeah. It can be, you can be induced into it very easily. So it's like, I'm, I'm saying like, do people actually go outside of their body? Like, do I think that there's legitimately this impermanent part do you think that there's the a body. spirit or soul that is traveling outside of your body or that looking down at yourself or is this simply a hallucination inside your own brain all right so that's the verdict that's the verdict so it's case confirmed if it's totally supernatural sure and it's case closed if it's all mental it's all mental bloody it's mental. All mental fucking mental it's it? totally mental in it <laughs> it's doing me i didn't thinking about this topic <laughs> doing me head um <laughs> i mean yeah i gotta go case closed i guess whoa i think it's all i think <laughs> i think that our brains i know i said they're underpowered earlier but i think they're more complicated than we give them credit for and like yeah. i think your brain does a lot of work to like that's why it's so big to like build a world for you yeah and it's stuff that you don't you don't realize it's happening because it's just doing this work. So it's like, I think when people, you know, like the guy from the guardian story who cracked his head on the stone, mm -hmm. it's like, he's thinking about what he wants to see, right? Like his, he's in a, he's in a situation where his like body's gone unconscious. So his brain is like trying to keep this tether. I mean, cause it would be easy for the brain to just go fuck this and like shut down. But that's probably not very useful because then you die. No, we're we are the brain's trying to keep you alive and we're trying, trying to, keep to survive. You, it's trying to keep you connected to reality. Yeah. Like it's it's programmed to survive. And so it's like unless the brain dies, yeah. like I think you're likely to see stuff that's supposed to help you keep grounded. And so it's probably things that you want to see or that are beneficial to that furtherance of you being alive. Yeah. So I think it's case closed. He's closed. Very good. I mean, good point, Andy. I, you know, and I, I, I agree with you. I mean, it's, um, it, um, the brain, you know, it's, it's like, it's trying to keep him alive. It's trying to flood you with dopamine and like keeping you feeling good. Cause it like the body doesn't, it just, it doesn't, you know, you don't ask your fucking brain to do that. Like your brain, like, I don't ask my brain to get a fever. It just does that. It knows to do that. I don't ask my brain to get a fever. <laughs> Where the only prescription is more cowbell. <laughs> it just does it. I have a fever, and the only prescription is more cowbell cheese. I want baby bell cheese. I'm Bruce Dickinson. <laughs> I put my pants on, and I piss them. You're the lead singer of Iron Maiden? Th that's right. <laughs> um... Yeah, I mean, it's like, it, you know, it, it, I don't know. It's a weird thing, man. It's, it's, and, and our brains are very powerful that we can create little worlds inside of our brains. I can have simulated arguments inside my own head while doing other things. Isn't that weird? It's like, and, and, and have you ever had like the experience of like, I have this all the time where you do like a routine task and then you have no fucking concept of if you, like, there are so many nights where I go, did I brush my teeth? And it's like, I sat there and I brushed my teeth for two minutes, but then I instantly forgot it because it's so routine for me. And then I have to literally go like, like I don't have a memory. I have no, so I have to like look at my toothbrush and I have to see if it's wet. And, and I'm like, I, I don't know. I have to like smell, I have to get like other senses in there 
because there's just no memory of it in my head of if I did that routine task because I just, it goes in and out. I used to live 30 miles from work. I used to live from a toothbrush. And I drove every day. Right. The same route, pretty much. Right. Every day. I would get home at night sometimes after work. Drunk. Totally drunk because I drink heavily in the car. And before I left work, I was drink I always drink on the job. And no, I would get home. Don't drunk drive. That's <laughs> it's I shouldn't joke about it because you shouldn't do it. <laughs> You can drink at work, though. I don't care. <laughs> uh, just don't drive. Um, but I I would drive home some days, and I would get it inside my apartment, and I would be like, what the fuck even just happened? Yeah. Like, I didn't remember. I would remember, like, getting into my car. Right. But I would be like, I don't remember anything I saw. Like, I would drive the next morning, and I would be like, did I see that yesterday? Yeah. And I'd be like, I have no idea. Right. Because it's like, I would just, I was on, you know, I'm paying attention, but I'm zoned out too. Like, you know, I, it's, it's crazy that okay. hurtling down a road at 60 miles per hour in a death machine. Death machine. I mean, here I am fucking Bruce Springsteen. Uh, But, you know, it's like, I'm not even paying attention really because it's so routine. And it's like, I should be blocked in at this. Right. Like driving is very dangerous all the time. And yet I'm like, eh, I do it every day, roll road, yeah. whatever. Right. No reason to pay attention. Turn it off and just hit the road. Hit the road, Jack. So, yeah, I get it. I get what you're saying. It's it's wild. I do it a lot of times at night, too. Same thing. I check the lock to make sure it's locked. I go to bed. I'm like, did I fucking check the lock? And I get right. up and check it again. And then sometimes I'll go back to bed and I'll be like, did I check the lock? And I'm like, you know, fuck it. I, I know I did it twice. Like, I... I probably like I don't know that I did it that first time. Yeah, but I probably did. You ever do like fail safes where you're like you do something and you're like I want to make sure I remember that I did this, so I'm gonna say something to myself out loud. Like, yes, like I'll like brush my teeth and I'll be like I just brushed my teeth, and then that way I'll be like if I'm later at night I'm like did I brush my teeth and I said yes I did because I said out loud I brushed my teeth and I remember that. But like you, <laughs> but the brain is interesting. The other day they had to water shut off. At my apartment. It was in the whole building. You clogged the toilet again. <laughs> no, not this time. Not this time. Not this time. But I I went I went to the bathroom. It was a number one. Thank and, you. And I was like, I had already used the free flush because I forgot the water was off. Like I said before I went in there, I was like, don't flush the toilet. It's just pee. It can sit. Don't use the free flush in case you poop. Just it, you know, it's 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 pee. Because you get one free flush, the it's tank free. is still full. We can use it later. I can drink it. I can drink it. Pee is fine. There's a little filtering and it's fine to get all the solids out. I have a lot of solids in my pee. Oh, God. But the second time I went in there, I said out loud to myself, I'm like, don't flush the toilet. Don't flush the toilet. As I'm taking my <laughs> hand off the plunger, I flushed the toilet while I was saying, don't flush the toilet. It's such a hat. Like, it's such an instinct. Like, you just love it. You're trained to do it. Well, uh, I don't think I ever gave... You never gave a verdict. A true verdict, but I, I agree with you. I think I'm going to go case closed. This is fully mental. Um, it's it's a wild phenomenon. Oh, it's crazy. It's very interesting to talk about. Super interesting. I'd, I'd try that VR headset. I definitely would, and I think it would be fucking wild. Would you do the rubber hand? Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, it's... Dude, that's kind of scary. It's scary, but I want to see that even if I'm aware of the study, if it can still affect me. <laughs> yeah, if I could... I want to see if I can beat it. If I could beat it, yeah. 
But I um, kind of feel like it's one of those things where I'm like, oh, I could beat it. But then I actually no. think I'm like, I bet I can't. I bet it's just, it's like, that's how our brains work. And it's they, like that when the doctor hits your knee, it's just, you're going to have a yeah, reflex. Yeah, like you can always think like, okay, I'm going to roundhouse the doctor. <laughs> I'm going to fucking smack when he, his head. When for, he hits my... For him hitting me with that little hammer. Yeah, but it's like, then you just go, oh, oh. And you're like, just oh, goes, oh. boop, boop. Oh, you come. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, every time my knees gets touched, I come. Uh, Bunkbuckers, let us know what you think about out-of-body experiences. If you've ever had an out-of-body experience, we would love to know your stories. Hit us up, hashtag... Oh God! What are we gonna use for a hashtag? Uh, <laughs> hashtag. Um, God, there's a lot of this is a dense topic. It's a dense one. Uh, hashtag. Um, um you just do OBE. Yeah, hashtag OBE. Something boring. It doesn't have to be anything fun. Have to be fun. We won't be fun. We hashtag are. OBE. Let us know what you think. Email us, mrbunkerpod at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram and Twitter. Instagram. At mrbunkerpod. Find us on YouTube uh, by Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast on YouTube. And then if you feel so inclined, you want to support the show, you want to get more episodes every month, two more episodes every month to be exact. You want to get a bunker newsletter every month. You want to chat on Discord with me and Andy and all the other bunk funkers. Ah, the Discord. The Discord's Discord great. Discord may be the best benefit of, so great. of the Patreon. You can get it at any tier. And hey, if you're a $10 tier, you get a free bunker poster. And they look nice. They're very nice. Um, you can find us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Mr. Bunker Pod. Andy! Time to get out of your time to get your body out of here. Yeah, time to get my body and my mind out of here. Finally. You know what? This is a really interesting topic. Um Yeah. Thanks again to Tyler. Yeah, thank you, Tyler. I think that um there's still so much more we have to learn about our brains. And like I think it's gonna be pretty freaking wild, to be honest. Yeah. It's gonna be pretty freaking wild, dude. The brain yeah. is pretty fucking rad. The brain. The brain freaking skateboards, and it bought me beer. And it took the world's biggest bong rip. It's, I saw my, I in 1992, I was at a party with my brain, and my brain hit a bong that was 18 stories tall. Biggest bong rip I've ever seen, ever. Well, for not the digital Mr. Bugger before my connubial, connubial co-host, Andy Hart. Does that mean like I'm made of sugar? Canubial. I'm Art Stone saying that was the whole enchilada. Well, if anyone asks, I am made of sugar. Lick me. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, 
and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.